Hi, and welcome back to the Grindhouse Girls podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Katie. My co-host is Brittany, and this is a podcast about many strange and spoopy movies. We cover a lot of independent movies and a lot of horror movies, and we do want to caution before starting the podcast that listener discretion is advised, and a lot of subject matter we cover is not appropriate for children and can be quite sensitive. So if that sounds like something that's up your alley, keep on listening. If not, thanks for stopping by and on to the podcast. Hi, I'm Katie. And hey there, I'm Brittany. And this is the Grindhouse Girls podcast. Hello. Hello. So we are, hello, hello, hello. Uh, We are officially, this is episode, the episode we are recording is episode 30 uh but technically in our lineup it's episode 29 since we will always mourn the episode we lost uh that we recorded with our friend jonathan so wait is it because wait hold on reanimator is 28 and then nope you're right it is 29 you're right you're right you're right for some reason i thought we were way more ahead of schedule um yeah so it's kind of episode 30 it's the 30th we're recording but it's the 29th we're releasing so i don't know if jonathan's uh, i don't think we we're giving him enough time to do episode 30 um <laughs> next week but yeah um we'll, we'll maybe we'll do it as a bonus in between like i'm sure i think we're gonna take a bit of a break i think we talked about maybe during the christmas holidays because i know at my work it's like the busiest time of the year and we're you know doing over 30 episodes our first year is an accomplishment within itself i think so we, yeah, we deserve a break a we, little bit. <laughs> Sorry, guys. We, we've been doing we've been doing this for like seven months, seven and a half months yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's been definitely over six months because our um our um host like emailed me and was like, "Hey, how's your first six months going?" And I was like, "Good." I haven't emailed them back yet. Sorry, uh, <laughs> it's been a long week. Um, yeah. So the uh, do we wait? <clears throat> so Britt, do we have any like? housekeeping any any corrections um that we need to talk about from last week or any any cool things that happened oh are we talking about in terms of the episode or just like in life in general just or? anything i was thinking it's like we don't ever like correct ourselves after the fact and maybe i don't know i i know sometimes when i'm listening to a podcast and somebody says something incorrectly or 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 just mention something and doesn't follow up with it. I'm always like, oh no. So I don't know. I was trying to give ourselves a little corrections corner, or like a an editor's corner. I don't know. Just like a how's life going? What's going on? I I like that. Um, I didn't catch anything that I was supposed to. Now I'm like, oh my god, did I say something? Am I leaving no, someone no, hanging somewhere? No, no. There's nothing somewhere? specific. I was thinking. Of. <laughs> I was like, oh goodness. Um. Nothing too crazy. Um, so as as our lovely uh, Grindhouse pod, uh, Grindhouse Girl Pod fans know, and then sometimes I'm like that's a mouthful, but I like it. Mm-hmm. Um, as our fans know, we record these episodes in events, so we are officially on October 28th. So Halloween is this Saturday. Tis upon um, us. It is. I feel like in a weird funk. I love Halloween. It's my favorite holiday. I think because of Corona, I just haven't felt it as much as i've had in the past and that kind of depresses me yeah um anyways yeah i'm excited i don't i i'm trying to figure out i bought a bunch of sandwich bags i'm like i think i'm just gonna put candy out in a bowl 
for kids to get like a bowl I don't care about just in case somebody tries to take it. Um, I don't know what this neighborhood's like yet, so it seems very calm, but I'm just like, I don't want him to destroy my house. And I don't know what my pumpkin's going to be this year. I have a pumpkin, and I haven't carved Aww. it yet, but um, I think I'm going to carve it Friday night. <laughs> um, I get I get really mad because, um, so Katie knows the original plan for our house, and this is the first year in the house, mm-hmm. that we were going to do like a pumpkin yard, and we were going to uh, do trick-or-treat inspired, because there's a scene in trick-or-treat where a character opens the door, and there's just literally jack-o'-landers everywhere i was like yes we're gonna do that that's my dream For- yes forgetting we live in alabama uh humidity here is awful so it's not like hot but it is humid and then it keeps raining so it's like i'll have jack-o'-lanterns for a day or two before um the gnats start getting all over them. yeah unless you spray yeah. them with like polyurethane or something yeah, and of course, you know, me being, um, I'm not like a green goddess, but I, I very am like, the animals like to eat the pumpkins, and so I'm like, I can't do anything to my pumpkins because the yeah. deers will get them, so. That is true, yeah, it's it's problematic. But anyways, um, what are your, pump- what do you guys do for pumpkins this year? We'd love to hear, like, I love seeing pumpkin pictures. Tag us in your pumpkin pictures. Yes, I would love that idea. So, um, we're very basic. We're we're definitely like let's give them some weird faces. So, like if you ever see, I think I did put a picture of three of our little pumpkins on Grindhouse Girl podcast, and they're very basic jack o' lanterns. So they just got their little happy faces and their little uh, jacked up teeth and that kind of stuff. So, but it was a really beautiful <laughs> picture. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate that. So, it's nice. It's nice. Uh, any idea about what you're think? You don't think you don't have any idea what you're going to do with your pumpkin? Um, I don't know yet. I've done. Let's see. I've done. I usually try. I do something memey. I've done the Rebel Alliance symbol. I've ah. done Grumpy Cat, which was one of my favorites. Aww. I've done. I did a Porg last year. I did Tina Belcher going, uh, <laughs> and what was the other one I did? I did something else pretty funny. And I've done like a, like a, like I had a little top hat from a costume and I did like a little monocle pumpkin. Um, what was, the, Tina Belcher looked the best though. Cause I did the whole thing where you just like take the orange part off for her glasses. Mm-hmm. So she looked really <laughs> realistic. Um, hey Mabel. <laughs> Uh, Sorry, guys. No, it's okay. Uh, You know, the wind is scary, and I'm not a dog, so my ears don't hurt as much. Um, But we'll just, we'll pause if the dogs bark too much. The good thing is we are recording our audio on both sides, so you guys may not hear the dogs at all. I don't know. We shall see. (laughs) Um, Anyways, I guess we should get to the movie. The movie. The movie. So... Katie, this was your choice, too. It was my choice, and it is a movie that I have been just really into watching for a very long time, and uh, I've, I saw it before, a long time ago. Um, originally, it was on Bravo's 100 Scariest Movie Moments. It was actually number <laughs> number 11. I almost put up a number two, but number 11 um, <laughs> on Bravo's Scariest Movie Moments, and there was something about this movie that, like, seemed so mysterious and disturbing, but also, like, people talked about it very reverently, and I was just like, what is this movie? And so when I was in college, um, <laughs> this was before Netflix had, I think, an online service when they just had DVDs, 
Um, I couldn't find the movie anywhere to rent, so someone had uploaded on it onto YouTube. Um, and I was a broke college kid, so I mean, I guess if Netflix did have the online capability, I may not have known because I was a poor college kid. But anyways, I remember being in my dorm room on my sorority hall, um, <laughs> and I was I watched it in in parts on YouTube. And I kind of skipped ahead, so I remember some of the scenes, but I don't remember. I didn't remember like the beginning parts. I kind of fast forwarded the beginning parts because as I just wanted to see the gore parts. Let's be honest. I was curious. I was I was seduced by the the gory bits. And this movie is very well known for some very intense graphic parts of it. I don't want to give too many spoilers about it because. I think that does ruin the movie. I think this is a movie you should go in blindly because I think you will enjoy the slow burn to the conclusion. Um, Mabel's really excited about it. She just barked up a storm. Um, this Yes. <laughs> the movie we're talking about this week is Takeshi Miike's Audition from 1999. Oh, yeah. Yes. And it is a movie that lives in infamy. And I believe Britt actually owns it, correct? Yeah, sure do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, as as Katie definitely knows, and as you guys may have gathered from past conversations, I was the anime kid. Um, that is <laughs> kind of like it's okay. Kind of like who I kind of like who I was uh, growing up. Uh, that girl. Um, you were my little okay. brother still... when you were a little girl, because that's what my brother was. Yes, it's fine. Yes, it's it, it, it's it's good. It's good because I still have. I can you know I can talk to any man, and I'd be like, "What's up, brother?" And don't know what to talk about. But then I'm like, "Watch Dragon Ball Z," and next thing I know, I'm chilling with the dudes talking about Dragon Ball Z. Like that's See, <laughs> I do that with video games with like children when I'm helping them. Like I, mm. sometimes at my work, I have to interact with the youth. Yes, but anime is another yeah. thing that I think I is. Is it do men like anime more than girls, or is it just they're more vocal about it? No, I think this. I think exactly. I think they're more vocal about it. Every anime convention I've been to is pretty split down the middle between guys and girls. I just think there's uh, the stigma that it's a lot of guys that watch it, especially middle aged men. But I feel like anime is pretty uh, has a great variety of fans of all ages, uh, different genders, um, which I think is awesome. Um, but I will say real quick as a brief side story, uh, Taylor's first one of Taylor's first impressions of me, Taylor being my husband, we worked at Target together. That's how we met. Um, and there was a little kid that came through, and he was playing. He was getting Pokemon cards and the stuffed Pokemon. And I was talking with him about Pokemon. And in my my view, this kid's like six or seven, lighting up about Pokemon. And I'm like, oh, so sweet. And his mom's like, thank God you know what you're talking about because I don't know what he's talking <laughs> that about. Happens too. And yeah. so, yeah, and so, like, it's very, to me, it was, like, this very humbling, sweet moment. Like, this kid's so precious. And uh, he, he mimics Pikachu, uh, and I mimic Pokemon voices because I wanted to be a voice actress when I was little. Um, I had no idea. My husband, my future husband, standing behind me at the other lane talking with the customer, like, she is so fucking weird. I'm so sorry. <laughs> like, so I have this sweet moment, but they're they're behind me going, what the fuck is she doing? Like, essentially. So I'm like, uh, it's it's all in the eye of the beholder because to me it was a sweet moment. Anyways, um, but I was that kid. So naturally, um, there was a, a magazine called Anamerica. 
when I was growing up. And it's been out of print for years and years and years. Mm. But I used to go to the bookstore. I used to go to Borders Books, if you guys remember Borders Woo! Books when it was still. Yeah, you remember. Uh, but I used to go to Borders Books and get some, like, my issues of Anne America. And I remember um, reading about Audition because Anne America also would talk about, like, live action um, Japanese movies at the time. So, like, I remember reading about Audition and then Jew on the Grudge and Ringu. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was like, Dad, because they mentioned it being um, at this time, oh, it was probably like 2001 or so. Uh, they were like, oh, re- newly released in, on DVD, blah, blah, blah. Well, there was a, long story short, there used to be a place called Video Stop, like GameStop. Yeah. It was owned by GameStop, but it was called Video I vague- Stop. You know I vaguely about? remember video th- hearing about Video Stop. I don't think I actually went to a Video Stop because Blockbuster, oh Blockbuster reigned supreme in my area. So, Video Stop was amazing. It was literally, like, this giant-ass store. Like, think about the size of, like, a Barnes & Noble just filled from wall-to-wall of movies. It's where I got, like, 2001 A Space Odyssey and A Clockwork Mm -hmm. Orange. So, I was watching a lot of Kubrick with my dad at this age. Wait, how old? Long story short. Uh, like, 10, 11. My God, I could barely get through Clockwork (laughs) Orange at, like, 19. Like, I did, yeah, but I was, uh, like, I, I made it to the Singing in the Rain scene, and I was like, ah, I don't like this. And then I went back and watched it a couple years later, and I finished it, and I was like, this was a masterpiece, but it, it kind of it hit it's me hard. Amazing. There's a lot of things I watched as a kid that I think certain, because even rewatching this movie recently, I've had this DVD since I was, like, maybe 12 years old, um, and I've probably seen the movie maybe at least four times, I would say, and there's there's things I catch every time I watch it. Mm-hmm. So, like, this most recent time, I was like, oh, ding, 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 like, there was things that were lighting up to me that I didn't, that didn't hit home my previous watches. So, I think there's things that come with age, but yeah, yeah uh, uh, Definitely uh, saw this movie. I remember, incidentally, I have a weaker stomach now than I used to. I now notice that, too, because I was cringing pretty hardcore at some parts that I remember watching as a kid and being like, whoa, that's crazy. And this time I'm like, oh, oh, Yeah, this movie's not for the faint of heart, y'all. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so I'm going to give a teeny tiny spoiler-free summary, but... It's on Shutter right now, and I highly encourage you to just watch it blindly before listening to us talk about it, because um, I, I almost wish I hadn't seen the ending before I rewatched it, because it had been, like, ten years since I had watched it, and, like, the this movie is um, crafted very beautifully, where it's one of those movies where it starts out as one thing, and turns into something completely different, but it's not disjointed in any way. It is um, crafted so well that it melds from one genre to another. Um, almost like like Hereditary kind of starts out where it's like very, like, uh, it's not very supernatural. It's more about grieving, and it's very grounded in reality, and then it, it kind of melds into a supernatural thriller at the end, but, like, you don't really... Like, it's so logical the way it changes into a thriller from, like, a drama that it's like, oh, like, it makes sense. This movie's the same way. is where it starts one place, goes completely different, but the way it goes is so well-crafted that it's not jarring at all. Um, the change in genre, it is jarring <laughs> because it's terribly disturbing, but um, it's, 
it's such a well-crafted film and uh takeshi Mike, who is the director um has done over 100 works he yeah. is one of those directors um the other movie that people know him for in america well there's a couple there's 13 assassins which i haven't seen yet but i've heard of which is kind of the same thing it's like a samurai drama that turns into like a blood and gore fest at the end um like apparently somebody like explodes um and it's terrifying um think kill bill volume one kind of blood issue um itchy the killer which is named i can't remember the japanese title but it's a different title in japan but itchy the killer one missed call which they had a terrible american remake of and a movie that i didn't know was his doing it's actually a tv miniseries movie it's called multiple personality detective psycho um i bought it um at a bargain store but it's only the second half of it but I bought it. I was like, what the hell is this? And it was like, but it was like marketed as like MP3 Psycho. And I was like, what the fuck is this? And all I remember, because I watched it with a bunch of friends, like, you know, I just picked a random one and we just watched it. And I just remember there were school children going down an escalator and then somebody like exploded or something. And then this detective was trying to find something out, but he has multiple personalities and he blacks out. And anyways, um, so anyways, he's mostly known for two things, family friendly, uh, cartoon, like television series and like horrifically graphic, uh, hyper, hyper violence. And like, yeah, this movie I wouldn't call hyper violent, uh, but itchy the killer apparently like starts out just hyper gore, hyper violence. Um, but in a way that and makes you laugh. Sexual violence. And, and some sexual, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I know there's a there's a character in Itchy the Killer who's not Itchy. I think it's his girlfriend, maybe? Um, mm-hmm. And she, like, gets turned on by him murdering people. Um, but I don't, I, again, I haven't I, seen it. This is from, I was reading into some biographies about him. I heard, I, I haven't seen Itchy the Killer, but I heard the big thing that was like shocking from the beginning is that like the main protagonist is like masturbating in the opening scene in the movie and his cum becomes I'm, I'm kind what? of talking quietly because my mom's his his cum becomes the um title the title card for oh the movie. okay uh-huh. yeah so and that gives you an apparently idea apparently the director yeah. took his mom to see itchy the killer and didn't tell her what it was about oh and she went to the premiere oh. i was like oh shit oh but she survived, so I guess it's fine. Um, yeah. He's also known, um, and I'm sure you saw this, Katie, uh, so Masters of Horror, which was like mm-hmm. a, uh, they did like short movies that are like an hour or so long. And all these famous uh, horror movie directors yes. uh, did these series. Well, he did the episode Imprint, which was actually banned on TV. I think it was the only version of Masters of Horror that was banned really? on TV. I, I yeah. had seen that in his, like, rep- because a lot of the directors we've done have been that's been on their imdb credits um and i was like i've been very interested i'm like oh look at all these people that did masters of horror but i didn't know that his got banned that's scary yeah um but he's um he's a really cool prolific director he's still working although he slowed down he used to apparently pump out like six movies a year now he's now he's slowed down um but he's still making them and um he uh, his favorite movie, by the way, I, fa- I found some trivia for him, is Starship Troopers. 
and oh. his favorite directors are the first two. The first one I know. The second one, not as much. Akira Kurosawa, Seven Samurai, oh. Ujimbo, um, which I my brother is a huge Kurosawa fan, and I've bought him the Criterion Collection of a couple of those for Christmas. Um, Hideo Gosha, which I'm not as familiar with, but he apparently directed The Geisha, which was like a Japanese Academy Award winner, and Three Outlaw Samurai, which I think is like a Western samurai, which I think you see that influence in 13 Assassins, but also David Lynch. Of course, David Lynch. Um, David Cronenberg, which I get because of the body horror, and Peter Verhoeven, who did Starship Troopers and, uh, um, which, <laughs> what's the good one? <laughs> I love Starship Troopers, but not, it's not that good. Um, it's kind of silly. Uh, oh, <laughs> Robocop. Robocop is much better, uh, is a much better film than, like, it's more, I don't know, it's just better polished. It's more polished. Um, but then my yeah. favorite Peter Verhoeven is Showgirls. <laughs> Yes, that movie. I think me and my ex-boyfriend watched it, and we were adults watching it, and there was so much sexual content that was so over the top that I was just like, I think we both had to leave the room at some point and just be like, I don't know why I'm so uncomfortable with this whole situation, but that movie just makes you uncomfortable. But it's also hilarious because there's a lot of really bad acting in it, and I'm pretty sure... It's supposed to be funny because Peter Verhoeven always has that, like, he rides that line of things being, like, hyper-violent and, but also funny. So I'm assuming that's on purpose, but also I do own Showgirls on DVD. So (laughs) if we ever need a Showgirls marathon. (laughs) Have you seen Showgirls, Britt? Am I just talking out my ass? No. No. (gasps) Yeah. So I haven't seen it. Um, But I know of it. Uh, I don't know the specific references you're making, but it is a cult classic. Oh my god! And I do. If it's a cult classic, t- chances are I at least know about. We it. We definitely so. need to do Showgirls because for years I heard about Showgirls, and then I found the DVD at Second and Charles. And was like, hell yeah, buying it. Let's watch it. So yes, but yes, but um, going uh, thinking about uh, you know, Mister Mike, Mikey, Mike, I've heard five people Mike. say Mike. So okay, perfect. We're going with Mike. <laughs> Uh, uh, he supposedly also had a cameo in Hostel. Yes. Uh, since he was a uh, inspiration for Eli Roth. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. Um, yeah, I'm glad you brought it up because <laughs> I was going to bring it up after we talked about the end of this movie. Because I had, I wrote a, <laughs> instead of doing things I like and things I don't like about this movie, last night, I, I watched it twice early. And I finished our editing for this week early this week. So I had a lot of time to write notes this week. <laughs> and I wrote like a full like page of like. Maybe not nice comments about Eli Roth comparing his movies to Mike's movies. At least not to this one. But I do think this one is a departure, a deep departure, a departure from Mike's uh, hyper violent, like almost like hyper violence, like like Quentin Tarantino violence. And I will say, I cannot remember the YouTube channel, but I was watching somebody's like, uh, it was just a like in depth, like overview of Takeshi Mike's work. And they started out with the Quentin Tarantino um, quote of, why do you like violence so much? Because it's fun, Jan! Which is like my absolute 100% favorite Quentin Tarantino quote of all times. Also, uh, Quentin Tarantino is a huge Takeshi Miike fan, and this is in his top 20 favorite movies. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. Anyways, he also really likes, um, oh god, 
Bong Joon-ho and Park Chan-wook as well. He had a lot of and, his movies. Um, th- their movies. This on there. This movie is also um, in the 1001 movies, uh, The Sea Before You Die. I think it consecutively makes the list every year. It should. So 1001 movies, The Sea Before You Die, does get updated every so often because obviously more movies come out every year. Um, but I think this one has continuously been on that movie list. So. It's a it's a good one. So I'm going to give a, a tiny, tiny blip of a summary um, because I, I don't want to spoil too much because, again, this is just one of those movies, if you go in blind, you're going to enjoy it, I think. Well, you will enjoy it, but I'm going to give the warning that there's extreme graphic violence in this movie. Extreme graphic violence. And it, I would call it tasteful, but it doesn't shy away at all. So, I don't know if that makes sense. Like, it does not shy away. But I, I, I feel scared by the violence. It does like um, the second. I mean, especially like I knew what was going to happen, but hadn't seen it in such a long time, and it did make me kind of cringe, but not in like a cringe way, like in a oh my god, this is so disturbing. Um, but it's a very logical, disturbing movie. I guess is what I can say. Like it's not unrealistic. Um, but it's very violent, and if you are squeamish at all, um, this is a movie to avoid, for sure. Um, so, um, I, I would say definitely it, it, I'm getting a lot of, um, just to give you an idea, a lot of Perfect Blue vibes, um, the movie Perfect Blue, as well as Fatal Attraction. There's some scenes in this that I think... We're probably inspired by Fatal Attraction. There's one scene in particular, which you probably thought too, Britt, um, which we'll talk about when we get into the real summary. Um, but basically, for a basic summary, spoiler-free summary, in Tokyo, widower Shigeru raises his son while grieving the loss of his wife. When his now teenage son suggests that he marry again, he starts the search for a new wife. At the whim of his friend in the film industry, they hold an audition for the role of romantic heroine and Chigaru's potential wife. But he is only interested in one applicant, the mysterious and seemingly docile Asami. So, oh, also, I would say, I forgot to say this, it's a Japanese movie. It's completely in Japanese, and I don't think it's ever been dubbed. So uh, it is a subtitled movie. Which, I mean, I don't know if that's a warning or not. I feel like this movie... It's imp- I would say one of the reasons I made sure I watched it twice before reviewing it was the beginning especially. Um, I wasn't I wanted to repay attention to what people were saying and sit down and actually read the subtitles because I do not speak fluent Japanese. I know Konnichiwa. and <laughs> I mean I know like hi means yes or okay um, and like tiny things like that from watching anime. But that's um, probably my, 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 I would love to learn Japanese. I've tried many times and it's very different from English and it, um, I get very confused. I'm much easier at romantic and Germanic languages like French and German because English is those two languages smashed together. Anyways, uh, enough about me speaking Japanese or the lack thereof. Um, see this movie. And um, do we want to give kind of, I mean, we can give a summary, I think, a, a bit. I, I did write out a full summary because I had time. 
Um, is there anything you want to add before we tell people spoilers? Um, no, I'm excited to kind of go a little bit, like, not saying, like, oh, like, we're going to hit every single detail of this hour and 42 minute movie, I think it's somewhere around there. (laughs) Uh, but, like, you know, we're not going to give every single detail, but I'm very excited to talk about some key points that I think, um... As an adult, I definitely felt maybe a little bit different about this movie. Um, oh. Especially about Sami. Like, uh, not excusing behavior. No. But just. There are some a things, too. Yeah. I caught some things watching it as an adult versus watching it as a teenager that I was feeling some things and was like, oh, okay. I see what you did there. Okay. And maybe it's also like, we'll get more into this, but I think maybe it is the, the things that have come up in the culture around the world, like in society. Um, I don't want to get super political or anything, but like the Me Too movement, things coming to light, the Nexium cult being exposed, um, things like that. Um, I do think, maybe makes us see things differently. Like, I think they were saying these things before all that came to light, and I think it's interesting to look at this movie now and be like, yeah. oh, oh, I get it. I mean, but also not an excuse. <laughs> not an excuse at all. Um, if you've seen the movie, you get what we're talking about. If you haven't, go watch it. Um, and yeah. I guess we're going to get into spoilers now. Um, yeah, because I don't know how to not spoil this movie and talk about it. Um so, our story begins as we see a young Shigeru. Uh, I'm pretty sure I'm saying his name correctly because I listened to four different people. Oh, so, um, this is, I don't, Shigeru isn't wrong. It's his first name, but I think he typically goes by his last name. Most men go by their last name. So, Aoyama, I think Aoyama. is what they more, yeah, more refer to him as. Japanese is not, it's not weird. I'm not, like, I love Japanese culture and society, but it's very interesting. Typically, work relationships, like, I guess, friendships that are male mm-hmm. friendships, they usually call each other last names. Mm-hmm. But then, like, when you're close with a female, you usually call her by her first name, or you may have Kun or Chan at the end of it. So, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I refer to him a lot in my notes as Aoyama, because that's what his buddy <laughs> keeps referring to him as. So. See, I kept saying Shigeru because, um... It was, I, I, other people, I heard it more often spoken mm-hmm. where I could understand yes. it. So I was, I was like, I'm confident I'm not going to mispronounce it. <laughs> um, but I also get very confused. That's the one thing with when I'm watching an anime, I get very confused with how to address someone because first name, last name, um, because it's a, it's a cultural thing. Like, I'm, like, I'm always, like, I don't know what the proper way to call people. So, I just picked whatever name was easier to pronounce. <laughs> so, I'm sorry. Because I don't, I think uh, Japanese language is very beautiful. And I yes. I feel like, I don't know if it's because I've just recently gotten really into Korean and Japanese film. Um, which is one of the reasons why I picked this movie. Because I feel like we did do a Korean film. But we didn't really do a Japanese film, and ja- Japanese horror is such a huge part of, like, the horror, I don't want to say industry, but the, the horror film genre. There was such a resurgence of truly terrifying horror, and it was completely thanks to the Japanese horror cinema, whatever. Like, yes. yeah, it was, I mean, The Ring, Ringu, this movie was actually, I think, 
after Ringu's success is one of the reasons why they wanted mm-hmm. to do this movie to kind of yeah. add to it. But I think it, it yeah they it adapted on its back, it frankly. Yeah, it's really interesting because Ringu came out in 98, I believe it's the same studio, and they were just like, oh shit, Ringu was really successful, and they they decided to pick this novel, because this was based on a novel, mm-hmm. and By, um, I think it's... I wrote it down, his name, the novelist, is Ryu Morikami, and he most recently, I this is on our list, but I haven't watched it yet. Um, he most recently had an adaptation of his book, Piercing, um, which is a, the premise, and this is in the trailer, so I'm not ruining anything for anybody, is that a man has an uncontrollable desire to stab his infant son with an ice pick, and so he hires a call girl, a sex worker, in a hotel to murder her to get that urge out of his system so he doesn't kill his own child. Which I saw the trailer for, had no idea it was based on this, and I haven't watched it yet. But I heard very mixed reviews, so I definitely want to do it was, eventually. Was this a re- was this recently done as an American yes, adaptation? Yes, 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 an American okay, adaptation. Perfect. I was like, I read a movie. I read about this movie, but I was like, this was an American movie. I remember reading about with this premise. Yes, it looked. I can't remember who the female lead is. It's not Chloe Sevigny, but I feel like her name kind of sounds like Chloe Sevigny. It might be Chloe Sevigny, but. Um, I, I was very interested in the movie and then it like never really came out out. Um, or it it did, but maybe not where we were. By the way, you did mention this on last week's episode and I thought it was funny coming across this tidbit. You're like, I'm surprised Audition wasn't like American, made into American remake. Uh, they attempted to. It seems like it's been in production hell since 2014. Well, they need to not because I don't know how you top this movie. Yeah, oh, exactly. Mia was a Kowski. Oh, was a okay, Kow- yep. Alice from Alice in Wonderland, Tim Burton's yes. adaptation. Or, okay. or the lead in Crimson Peak. Oh, Which that's is a true. much, yes. I'm sorry, it's a much better movie. I tried to watch Alice in Wonderland. I was kind of like, eh. I've never seen it's it. Not good so, good. But I did enjoy Crimson Peak. I love so. Crimson, Crimson Peak. Oh, my God. I, I've seen that movie like three times. Like, I saw it in theaters with my friend Elizabeth, and when the dog started running ahead of her, we're like, oh, no, not the dog! Like, it was one of those, we're like, oh, fuck! Um, and it also has a really cool, I don't want to say twist. There's a twist, but um, I, I don't think it's as polished as The Shape of Water or Pan's Labyrinth, but I think it is, I think it's like Hellboy territory. Fun yeah, and spooky, but not as emotionally draining as... Um, Shape of Water or Pan's Labyrinth. I definitely think those are more of the masterful Guillermo del Toro films. Yeah. But he doesn't do a whole lot of wrong in my book, so it's fine. We'll eventually do a Guillermo del Toro. Um, Maybe we'll get well-known enough and he'll come on our podcast. Devil's Backbone. I want to do that because I haven't been able to find it, and I do want to watch that one so much, but it looks seriously frightening, and I'm afraid to watch it by myself. So maybe we'll have to do... A Grindhouse Girls movie night because I'm like, ah! Um, so, I guess we should actually get into the spoilery summary. Yes. We'll talk about more stuff. Woo! Um, Sorry about that. No, I th- I'm glad we gave a little more context. Um, I And I think it's, I think it's good. Um, so, let me see. What time is it? Okay, so now we're actually going to get into our spoilery summaries. And I'm sorry, I'm trying to, like, bookmark things better. 
so we flow a little better because I feel like sometimes, especially me, I get very meandering and I'm like, oh, where the fuck are we? I don't even know. <laughs> you know, it's all good. Um, so, um, we are going to talk about the actual summary. So I, uh, I think it's because I skipped ahead the first time I watched this movie. I didn't realize how sad this movie was going to be in the beginning. Um, I, the other vibe I got other than, um, Perfect Blue and Fatal Attraction was Sleepless in Seattle. I got a big Sleepless in Seattle vibe because the story begins, we see young Shigeru at his wife's deathbed, his son, Shigehiko, which I may be butchering that name because not that many people said it and so I might be saying it wrong, I'm so sorry, um, is bringing a get well soon present with little dinosaurs on it to his mother, which pulled at my heartstrings because I loved building volcanoes as a kid and he has a little volcano and my brother was real into dinosaurs Jurassic Park was huge and this is a 1999 movie so Jurassic Park was probably still being felt in the world (laughs) um so unfortunately his mother does pass away right before he arrives and you kind of see them walk away hand in hand father and son and then like the next time you see them the son is a teenager and he's like, Dad, you look really worn out. Uh, they have this really great, loving relationship. He's like, I think you should maybe look at getting married again. You know, which is, um, I've read that it's a very, there's a very common plot in Japanese cinema where a father, a widow, or widower, and their child kind of stay together and are kind of just, it's just the two of them. And then it's usually the parent that is encouraging the younger child to get up and go and live to see the world, apparently. I don't know. I don't know if I've observed that in Japanese cinema so much, but maybe it's because I haven't watched as much as I should. Um, but this is kind of a plot twist because it's the son who's like, Dad, you need to, like, go date somebody because he's starting to get interested in girls. And the dad's like, wow, you don't invite that many kids over anymore. Um, and the one kid we see him invite over is a lady. And he's like, I guess he was like probably eight when his mom died. It looked like maybe nine. Um, and so he's about 14, 15. So just getting interested in dating. I will say that child, uh, my heartstrings went out for him when the mom dies. And he's like, mom. And I was like, oh, shit. Oh, no. His face is great. That child actor did a great job. Um, Britt, I think you had something you were going to say. Oh, yeah. So, um, so I was, I actually looked into, like, the script, because I always thought he would be about 14, too, and it turns out he's supposed to be 17, mm. uh, which would put him in, like, his last year. So, typically, Japanese high school is three years of my understanding, mm-hmm. so it would put him in his last year of school. That makes sense. Which is probably, yeah, which is probably also why he's kind of, like, really trying to get his dad to go out and date again, especially maybe if he's planning to go to a different college, that kind of stuff. So there is, even though it's unspoken, there does seem like there's a certain leverage behind it mm-hmm. versus him just waking up one day and being like, mm, you should get married, Dad. Like, yeah, you know? That makes more sense because, so when he first said it, I thought he was like in college or something and about to move out. But then, honestly, the way the actor acted around his girlfriend made him look very, seem very childlike. And I was like, maybe he's way younger yeah. than I think he is. Or, well, and then I was like, well, maybe in Japan people, like, I mean, and this was in 1999, too. So we weren't quite um, the little eighth graders going on YouTube and doing makeup tutorials. So people did have a childhood longer in 1999. But 
Also, I'm like, uh, I mean, I was 10 or 11 in 1999, so like, I'm pretty sure I had like older friends who were pretty grown up in my eyes. So, but anyways, I was like thinking like, maybe they don't, maybe like, maybe childhood's a little longer in Japan culturally, which I think it should be, frankly. But then I remembered the age of consent was like 14 in Japan until recently, I think. I think maybe now it's like 16. Yeah. So maybe not. There's something, Japan, um, and obviously I'm not Japanese, but my gathering, um, just from someone who loves Japan and always wanted to go, is that there's there's something different about the way so you can turn on american television and just about any tv show there may be a there may be some sense of violence like violence is very normal over here sexuality is different it's like you're not going to see two people banging on tv Um, it's going to be implied um if they do and japan's a little different um sexuality is pretty normal i'm not saying that japan's a society that's telling like teenagers to go screw each other not that in the least sense but sexuality is just more acceptable yeah it's more acceptable for people to have sex than to shoot each other in the face uh which i actually feel should be more normal yeah i, like I mean we, we have to have backwards. sex to have a um to have a society so yeah <laughs> like i'm like i'm like i would rather see people having sex also i feel like in america like a lot of sexual behavior at a young age when you're hitting puberty is villainized a little bit by our society and so a lot of kids feel ashamed of their sexuality like i know personally um i think Bert, you probably i think we've talked about this like i matured very young for my age i know i wasn't really desiring to be sexually active but i looked a lot older than i was and i hit puberty a lot older i mean younger than other people and like i almost felt like i was like bullied because i looked a lot older than my age and i know it was coming from a place of like i mean i'm not trying to sound like regina george like they are jealous of me but i mean i know like because i'm you know i was kind of a curvier girl i was jealous of girls who could eat whatever they wanted to and stay really skinny so i'm sure like if you didn't have boobs and you looked like a kid you were probably jealous of somebody who looked like an adult when they were only 14 but i was an awkward little girl who didn't know what to do with her boobs and people made fun of me and called me fat or they called me promiscuous and i was the exact opposite of being promiscuous in um and i went to catholic school too so like catholic school gives you a lot of guilt about sex especially sex outside of marriage they're very procreation but uh, not really my personal catholic school upbringing like my school kind of bent the rules and was like listen y'all i know officially we're not supposed to tell you it's okay to have sex outside of marriage but if you do wear a condom you know, like, my school was a little bit more rational, but I've had friends that went to, like, much stricter Catholic schools that it was basically just villainized to have sex before you're married. But, I mean, I mean, your body desires sexual feelings for a reason. Yeah. It's not a bad thing to have sex. It's not evil. And I, you know, I'm sorry, that was a long way to say, like, no, 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 you know, no. all that. And I completely understand where you're coming from. I mean, we we live in a society, or at least when I was in high school and even in college, like, people Mm -hmm. be very, very quick, even when we were, like, 17, 18, 19 years old, be like, are you a virgin? Like, it would just be something. None of your fucking business. I mean, like, who the fuck cares? But it's, like, it's a thing. Like, you you understand. You went for it, too. It's, like, it's, they had, like, that is something. So, yeah, like, we may not be representing um, sexuality on TV, 
but it's definitely something that is largely at play in mm-hmm. young people's lives. And so I feel like with his scene with his little girlfriend, Aoyama is not explicitly stated anyway. The text does not give clue to this, but like he leaves the house with the two of them there by themselves. True. So he's probably okay with it. But also, like, she, they, they seem like they genuinely are, like, it, it seems like a nice relationship. There doesn't seem anything sexist about it or rapey about it. It seems normal. Um, which I think we can talk about some of the gender roles yeah, in exactly. this movie. Yeah, exactly. Oh, no. And I would definitely agree with that. But he definitely, like, gives him, like, a He thumb gives up, him, like, like a oh, thumbs yeah, up. she's cute. It's like, fuck yeah, man. Yeah. But, I mean, but in, yeah. like, a cute way. Like, that's why, like, I like to say, like, so, Aoyama or uh, Shigeru, however we're going to call him, he's the same person. Yeah. Um, he, I honestly uh, liken him to a Tom Hanks character, like Sleepless in Seattle. He dedicates his life to his son, and he hasn't really put in time for himself. Um, and it's sad because, like, you see his house. And I'm used to, like, I follow a lot of, because I, too, have always wanted to go to Japan. I follow a lot of vloggers who live in Japan. And everyone's house is very small because they live in Tokyo. His house is huge for, like, a Tokyo house. Like, it's an actual house. Like, there's a yard and everything. It's not, like, in the middle of the city. So he's obviously, like, not doing super badly. But they do mention that in 1999, I guess Japan was in a recession. So they do mention that there is a recession going on. And so he's not as rich as he used to be. And maybe that's why he's feeling a little more depressed because work isn't as busy. I think he works... They don't explicitly say what the main character does, but they do say that his best friend is a television film producer. And I think he also works in television because he's helping edit something at work. So he's like some kind of television producer, writer kind of person because he wrote a script that'll come into play later. Um, Anyways. Yeah. So he goes out to uh, dinner with his friend. His friend's name is Yoshikawa. Yes. And I, uh, fun fact, of course, he played Boss Takanaga in Kill Bill. Boss Tanaka! Uh, That's what my, my was yeah. mine, too. <laughs> yeah, and I was just like... If you don't know who Tanaka is in Kill Bill Volume 1, he's the guy that Oren Ishii decapitates and says, Motherfuckers, yeah. Um, yeah. the price for questioning my authority is I get your fucking head like this fucker oh, here. Y- yeah, and I love it because she like does. She's like, just so you know how serious I am, I'm about to give this speech in English. She's like, as your leader, I expect you to question my authority mm-hmm. from time to time. But the price you pay for bringing up either my Chinese mm-hmm. or, Jap- or my half Chinese heritage is or I American. collect your fucking head. Yeah, yeah, our American heritage. I collect your fucking head, just this like this motherfucker right here. here. I and you gotta love it. You gotta love it, because Gogo and so- Sophie are, like, her girl mm-hmm. squads that are just beaming with pride. Like, yeah, that's our bitch. I, <laughs> I love Oren Ishii. Uh, she's my, who is played by the incomparable Lucy Liu. Um, yes. Love Lucy Liu so much. She's been in so many of my favorite things. And she's one of those actors that does not see herself above any work. Like, she does, like, voice work on, like, Futurama mm-hmm. and shit. She's done television. And she was in... The the fairly good, I it's a guilty pleasure for me, Charlie's Angels reboot, the first one. I haven't watched the new reboot because I was like, ah, I'm fine with the old one. It has Bill Murray in it. Why wouldn't I want Bill Murray? And Full Throttle is 
I I did see Full Throttle, but I've only saw, seen it once. Where I've, I've seen the original Charlie's Angels movie adaptation, like like a lot. <laughs> it's like a comfort movie for me. Um, it has an amazing soundtrack too. Yes, so. the actor who plays. Oh, by the way, also the actor who plays Shigeru Aoi. Hey, y'all. I, I can't say the last name correctly. I see. I have an easier time with his last name. Than his first name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's fine, guys. He played, I think he played the detective in The Grudge and The Grudge 2. Yes, he did. Yes, yes he did. Um, which, so, yeah. He, yeah. So, because he, his face looked familiar. So did, um, uh, um, oh, what the hell? Uh, uh, Yoshikawa's. Um, I can say yes. Yoshikawa. That's fine. I know that's easy. I'll, uh, yeah, keep, keep going. I'll be back. Um, I I recognize uh, Yoshikama because of Kill Bill, um, and he was also in The Wailing, which keeps coming up on my Netflix, but I haven't seen it. Um, the Sun um, hasn't really done a lot, so I don't really know what he is famous for. Um, and Ihi Shina, uh, who plays Asami, who we'll get to shortly. Um, she was in Tokyo Gore Police, which, um, I think Tokyo Gore Police, I can't remember if Tokyo Gore Police, uh, Gore Police is another Mike or if it's a, another director that I was researching, but, um, she was also in that, but she's, she's been working too. Um, anyways, but yeah, so like, I was really excited that he was boss Tanaka in <laughs> Kill Bill Volume 1, because I was like, hell yeah, but also, um, the main character was in The Grudge and The Grudge 2, the American versions, so like... Because there's he's the detective, right? I'm right about that, right? Okay, Nag- Nagakara or something like that. I don't remember his name, but I remember that I thought his acting was good, even though I don't really think the Grudge is very scary. I laugh at it. Don't really know why. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I I do. I think I told this story. Like I saw it with my friend when I was very young, and we were stupid and like 14 and like laughing at people dying which is not funny but in like more of a nervous laughter and for some reason it became a joke and i just i don't know i don't the grudge doesn't really scare me but this movie does um um anyways so his friend it's it's interesting because re-watching the scene of him and his friend talking about how he wants to get married again is interesting because i i watched the movie without researching anything really and then i listened to a couple People talk about a couple interviews with Mike, and a couple people were talking about how um, the first part of the movie, whereas a lot of people see it as a romantic comedy, that's kind of how I saw it the first time. The first part is definitely a romantic comedy, um, but they saw it like kind of as a horror movie because it's, it's two men like trapping women into love. Which okay, so here's how it goes down. Um, Shigeru's like, hey. Um, I think I'm going to get married again. And his friend's like, okay, to who? And he's like, I don't know. Which I was like, okay, dude. Um, first of all, you can't just be like, hey, I'm going to get married but not have a person in mind. Um, it very much reminded me of a quote from the musical Company, which I may be paraphrasing this a hair. After I'm not getting married today, there's a lovely scene where Bobby half proposes to his friend who's about to get married to his other friend. And he's like, why don't you and I go get married? And she's like, oh, Bobby, you have to want to marry somebody, not somebody. Like, you can't just want to just get married for no reason. And that leads into the song Marry Me a Little, which is a beautiful song. Love, Mm -hmm. Stephen Sondheim. Thank you for company. Anyways, 
I was getting company, company vibes. I love company. Um, it's a great, great musical. I always want to either be, uh, I want to be the girl that sings, uh, and I can't remember her character's name. I'm not getting married today. I've always wanted to sing that song. Um, or, I mean, like, I would be one of his girlfriends, too. I, I'm not going to lie. I would, I would, or Joanne. I would, but I think, I don't think I look like a Joanne. Like, I look too happy-go-lucky, and Joanne needs to look like a hardened woman who's been through a bunch of shit and i just don't look like that yet maybe in 40 years i can play joanne um anyway i feel bad because my sister played joanne in college but she they made her up like she like they dressed her like she looked like she was dressed in chanel from head to toe and they had her smoking fake cigarettes like menthols on actually no they weren't fake but they were menthols she was like smoking menthol so she would sound raspier so like it was a little bit much anyways um so they're having this conversation in a bar and this is where like people were like oh they're so they are judgmental of women but i don't think they're any more judgmental of women as some women can be towards men too i don't shigaru doesn't give me bad vibes his friend i both love and hate his friend Yoshikawa, because at first he's like, there's these girls in a back room in the bar, and it seems like they're, like, at a bachelorette party or something, and they're just, like, laughing and having a good time. He's like, ugh, such plain and stupid girls. They only think of themselves. Where are the good women at? And you're like, what but the fuck? I would argue... Uh, sorry, and as no, you no. know, I'm, I struggle. I struggle with. Uh, sh- I struggle with uh, Shigaru's first name. So I'm no, like, say his oh, last mama. name. It's fine. Um, but... Like, I, oh, because I don't want to really get down this road yet, but I would argue that Aoyama is not that great of a person. And that's what I actually love about this movie and this character is because, yeah, he's he's a great dad. He loves his son. He's taking care of his son. But there's some scenes, especially in the last 30 minutes during a particular trip, you know, I'm referencing that I'm like... Yeah, probably hasn't treated woman uh, his secretary who we at this yeah. at this point we have seen his secretary obviously does not always treat women very well and he's very he's looking for a very specific type of person. I think that's the thing that's problematic. He may not be vocal like his friend is, but he's definitely wanting someone to fit his bill well, but of what an ideal woman is. Here's the thing. Okay, so in in this scene, I still thought he was a good guy. Because, okay, so he verbally says, because his friend's like, you want, like, a really young chick? He doesn't say it like that, but he says, you want someone real young, right? And he's like, no, I want a mature woman, career-minded, with, you know, some accomplishments, but I'd love her to have, like, a performative art or something, like piano or dancing or singing. Because, but then he says, because his wife, that was what his wife did. His wife was, like, a performer, so, like, you know, I can't really fault the guy for that. Because some people were like, oh, because they want a lady to dance for him. And I was like, I don't think it's so much that as, like, it's more of I really miss my wife and I can never yeah. be with her because she's deceased. So I think it's more of, I think he's more of trying to fit the woman that he's going to marry into the box of his wife. Which is too high of a standard to put any woman on or any man on like if you have a deceased spouse who was a great person and you're trying to compare a living being with a deceased person they're never going to fit that mold because they are not the same person and they're never going to bring your deceased partner back i think that's kind of similar to which i haven't i still need to finish reading rebecca and watch the movie but rebecca i think has a little bit of those themes where like she's 
she can't really replace the wife that he lost. I don't know. Is that, I mean, I think that's part of it. Because she feels like she's insignificant because, like, Rebecca won't leave her alone. Uh, but I think, it's, I mean, it's more of a horror movie. But I think that's some underlying themes that I've so, read about. But don't ruin it for me. Or yeah, else. <laughs> so the, the second the second Mrs. Day Winter, it's not the idea that her husband put in the head that she can't live up to Rebecca. It's the idea that the housekeeper has put yes, in her head. Yes, yes. Yeah. But it's, I mean, like, but, I mean, but if you are trying to fit your new spouse into the mold of your former spouse, you know, that's really scary. That's something, like, I've been, like, I mean, I've only been broken up with my long-term partner for a few months. But, you know, at some point you're just like, I mean, I would like to date someone again. But then you're also just like, I really hope I don't, like, compare them to my former partner. Because, like, that would be so horribly mean. Even if you're unconsciously doing it. And that's what I think he's doing. I think he's unconsciously being kind of a dickhead. Um, But I, I don't think he's doing it out of pure sexism i think it's more of a like a light sexism like i don't think this isn't like fatal attraction where you willingly have an affair with somebody while you're married and supposedly completely in love with your wife and then you are like okay i just want it all to go away because people don't just go away you can't just make people disappear right unless you're a political person who has a lot of money and power you can't just make people disappear I don't think this is this. I think, at this point, I still thought he was a pretty nice guy. But you mentioned the secretary. He has a secretary, which I did not write down the character's name because I don't know if they even say her name. Um, And she is, that woman looked really familiar to me, though, the actress, and I could not pin her down. Um, But he has a secretary, and you can tell from the moment they have, like, their first or second interaction that she likes him. And, like, she's like, hey, I'm going to get married. And he's like, oh, congratulations. And she's like, he's like, to who? And she's like, no one you know. But she's, like, waiting for his reaction. You're like, oh, honey, no. No. Because it's, I mean, like, he doesn't hate her. It's very obvious, like, he cares about her as a co-worker, but that's about it. And you don't really know what's going on with their relationship. But you can tell that she kind of has more feelings for him than he does for her. But to me, I'm like, I think maybe it's because he's never let go of his wife. That's what I got from it, was that he never let go of his wife because he still has his wife's photo in his bedroom. He feels guilty looking at pictures of girls in front of his wife's photos. Um, So, like, I feel like it's more of he didn't let go of his wife and maybe... Maybe he has had some really shallow relationships with women that his son was unaware of because he kept him from knowing about them, but he never let anyone into his life. And maybe it's because his son never mentioned it. Maybe this is, maybe his son saying, dad, you should get married is the excuse he has to finally have a relationship again. But like, you know, it's very scary, I think, as a parent to date someone because you don't want to expose your child. And then like, if your child gets attached and then like, it doesn't work out. A lot of parents just don't introduce their children to the people they're dating until they know it's going to stick. So I think I saw it. Maybe I'm being too sympathetic. And maybe as someone who's been through a breakup recently, I'm like, oh, you poor morning person. Like, yeah, morning sucks. And like, sometimes it takes you longer than you think to get back on the bandwagon. Um, but the secretary, I feel really bad for. Um, anyways, yeah. his friend's like, hey. Let's just have an audition for 
the woman in your life, your future wife, which, yeah, to Shigeru's um, credit, he does say, mm, isn't that a little shady? Because you're going to put up, like, basically a fake audition up. He's like, no, I mean, like, we might do the show that we're auditioning them for. So technically it's not fraud. But he even asks, like, isn't it fraud? He doesn't really think about the women's feelings. The woman's, the women's feelings, women's feelings. Is that correct English? I don't know. Um, so I do think you're right. I think he is like, but I think he is being shallow. But I do think he's being like unconsciously shallow. He's not doing anything purposefully to be hurtful, um, which I think is a point that this movie makes. It's like an unconscious societal sexism. If that makes yeah. sense. Um, yeah, and it's very funny, um, and we'll get into this as we hit more towards the latter half of the film. Um, but it's very interesting in seeing to this day, and this movie is 21 years old, people argue it, uh, whether it's a misogynist movie or if it's a feminist movie. Uh, and people seem pretty split down the line uh, with that argument, uh, which I think is fascinating. Um, I wouldn't call yes. it misogynist at all, though. Like, I don't even know if it's a feminist movie. I think it's a human movie. I'm not, I'm not trying to be, like, Little Mary Sunshine, but I just didn't see that this was pro or con women completely. I think that you have to look at people as individuals. Yeah. Well, I guess as as we'll get more into um, Asami's backstory, um, but they, they do decide to have this audition, mm-hmm. and he literally tells them, he's like, he gives them tons of files, like headshots, um, and I guess resumes are... That would be headshots and resumes, right? Yeah. Or headshots and cover letters? Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah, and they have to so, write an essay, too. Yeah, in an essay. So he goes through them, and he tells them to pick uh, 30 of them, and there's, like, literally hundreds of them. Right. Um, and he happens to come across um, this young woman. She's kind of, I would say she's striking, but kind of plain, too. Not, like, plain in an unattractive way, just not very... Stark. You know. Her looks are yeah. stark. It's like she's got this beautiful dark hair. She's in white. And she doesn't have a like she doesn't have makeup on, but she's this very beautiful like complexion that's just clear. Yeah. And like she just looks like a perfect little angel of a woman. Yeah. But at the same time I would argue that she does kind of have a gaze that looks for you, or at least that's how I feel yeah. looking at the actress. I don't know about the picture so much, but the actress it's yeah. herself live, yes. Yes. And so um he ends up reading her her letter, her resume, mm-hmm. and he's very stricken by cuz she details how she had an accident. Uh, she ballet was her life. That's what she did when she was a child. And she was studying, she was planning to go to abroad, abroad to do ballet had an accident and could no longer do ballet and she's like i wanted to die and it's very clear cut that even though he doesn't say it out loud it automatically the idea of wanting to die her losing ballet is very much like him losing his wife yes she wanted to die but she pressed on and he had this idea of like when he lost Mm -hmm. his wife he probably wanted to die but he pressed on so automatically in his head there's really no other candidates but they go ahead and they hold the audition yes and um he keeps crossing out people. And honestly, this is probably the funniest part of the movie. Yes. Because it's, like, one of those classic, like, audition sequences. I'm trying to think of, like, like interview sequences in movies where you just see a bunch of random character actors be like, I'm the quirky girl. I'm the, the sexy girl. I'm the studious girl. And then there's one sad girl who's like, these are my three suicide attempts on my arm. And he's just like, next. And you're like... Yeah. Well, that was kind of asshole. Yoshikawa. Kawa. Kama? 
Yushikawa. Yushikawa. I was right the first time. Shit. <laughs> um, sorry. Yushikawa um, is kind of being, he's doing all the talking. Um, and Shigeru is just kind of like, yeah, I don't know. But he just can't wait for uh, Awesome to come in. And they take a break and he sees her in the break room. He's like, oh my, oh my god, it's her. Watching this scene, if you didn't have any idea what to expect, she's kind of alone. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh my god, she's special. Like, here she so is. Special. Like, this light's just shining And she's in reading, on her. like, a studious yeah. little bitch. I'm so glad she's not yeah, a bitch. It's like, she's, just, like, sweet. she's like, it's an act. Yeah. And that's what, now watching it, you're just like, oh my god, she's not alone because she's special. She's alone because she fucking doesn't know how to socialize. She's also alone women. because she knows exactly what she's doing. Because yeah. she's like, oh, I have to be alone and I have to focus on my goal. So, like, for me, when someone's sitting by themselves, I'm like, maybe she's just, you know, trying to do stuff. Like, just be by herself and, like, isolate herself. Um, but, I don't know. I think she's she knows what she's doing. And she walks into the audition and she's dressed in all white. She has, like, little short pumps. Like, little little short heels. Like, not even high heels. She she looks like she's dressed like a kid going to a little girl going to their first communion or like or like a matron like there's no in between and she's just like the perfect like docile quiet beautiful woman and she's just like hi thank you for having me and um, Shiguru like just like it's just like oh my god I loved your essay and like I he's like he's been like practicing what to say to her. It yeah, because like. he literally says something like, um, I can tell you're someone who, like, appreciates life or loves life. And his friend's literally like... Duffer? And, yeah, they literally, like... he. So he excuses her, and he gets so excited. He turns to his friend, and he goes, what did you think of her? And his friend's literally like, she made me nervous. Yeah. Like, she Which, made me uneasy. So I didn't like Yushikawa at first, and then he starts uh, getting signals that nobody else gets. So I did end up liking him. Um... So then they, um, they kind of break, and he's like, yeah, you probably shouldn't call her. She makes me nervous. But he doesn't really listen to his friend, and he calls her, and they have a dinner date. And he's just like, oh, my God, he's just enamored, and it's just, I kind of skipped to this part the second time I watched it, so I don't remember everything, but it was, you know, they have a nice, lovely, like, lunch date, and he's just like, oh, my God. And then I think this is. So what it is is that she has like a record producer on yes. her resume I as someone this was the that the first like, day of the second date that this happened at. Yeah, but go go ahead. It was, what you're saying. Yeah, it was the first day because she literally is like, "I'm so sorry, I I lied about the record producer. I haven't talked to him." Blah blah blah. And so literally the next scene is his friend is like, "Hey, I researched that record producer, and it's like it was something like he went missing for like or eighteen something months like ago." Yeah, exactly. They're like he went missing. So, I think, um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but they have their first date, and he's like, don't call, do me a favor, just don't call her right away. And, of course, it's like, what's funny is if you were to cut out the scenes of Asami going on here, it really would be like a romantic comedy Mm -hmm. where it's like, oh, he told me not to call her, I want to call her so bad. Yes. But then you see Asami scenes, and she's just waiting. Fatal attraction style. Yeah. It was just like, like the Madam Butterfly scene where she's just like at home. And somebody likened it to her being like a robot that's turned on by his phone call. 
And I was like, eh, I don't know so much as that. It's just like someone in a a state of psychosis where yeah. they cannot, like, I don't know. She's just like so still and her head is like bowed. Like she's just so bent over in this prone position. And in the background, there's a laundry bag. Yeah. And it moves. No, it doesn't move at first. Not yet. It doesn't move the first time he calls her. Waits until okay. the second time. Because, okay, because, like, I knew I'd seen that scene before. And 100 Scariest Movie Moments, and I was waiting for the bag to move, and it doesn't move until the second time he calls her. Because um, I was like, oh, my gosh. I was like, I was like, oh, God, it's going to move. And then it didn't, and I was like, oh. Was I misremembering it? And then the next time I watched it, it caught me off guard because I forgot that was the one that moves. But yeah, yeah, the thing is like, so rewatching, I watched Bravo's 100 Scariest Movie Moments, the clip from this movie, and Eli Roth is describing this scene, and he angers me because he's like, it's this crazy bitch, and she's so crazy. And I was like, I really think you misunderstand the subtlety of this movie. I mean, the violence yeah. isn't subtle in this movie, but the the plot and the character development and their, um, what am I trying to say? Their, um, motivation is subtle, but, like, but also obvious. But, I mean, like, they build it up. Like, there's, there's reasoning for all this behavior. And just calling someone a crazy bitch because they have something psychologically wrong with them, I think is, well, we've seen Cabin Fever, so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and not, also, not... Not my not my favorite work, but Mm-mm. he does end up calling her. I believe at this point, this is where they go on a second date, and mm-hmm. it's just it's great. Like it's just like he's like fully convinced, like she's the one. I think at this point, he like kind of tells his son that he has a girlfriend too. Mm-hmm. I also love this scene because first of all, you get the really scary bag moving scene. You're like, oh shit, what's in the bag? It's almost like the what's in the box from Seven. Um. But also, um, so Awesomey's been in this, like, very, like, structured outfits the whole time. And all of a sudden, she's in this, like, bright red furry jacket. And she's just loving life. She's so excited. Also, like, the red, I'm sure, is symbolic. Um, she, or something. She literally even says something like, I'm so glad you called me. I was so afraid you weren't going to call me. Yeah. But she says it in a way that you're like, oh, it's so cute. But... Mm-hmm. It's like, then you watch it the third or fourth time, and you're just like, oh, no, that's not, like, the way you're taking it. You're taking it as Aoyama the first time you're watching it, where it's like mm-hmm. this girl, it seems like the pieces are falling together. Like, she likes him as much as he likes her, mm-hmm. and he's older than her. He's, like, 20 years older than her. And yeah, there's she's a lot 24. Of things... She's 24. Yeah. <laughs> and he, I think he's supposed to be 42 or something like that in the script. So he's, like, almost 20 years older than her. She's young, she's beautiful, and I think he's kind of, like, pinching himself at this point that this woman is showing so much interest in him. Yeah, and she, um, is so, she says, I think she actually says, I thought, of course I'm so happy, I thought I'd never see you again, which she reiterates at the end of the movie, too, um, because she's just so excited to see him, and (laughs) we know why she's, um, so excited. Um, anyways... So they go on a great date, and then they go on a weekend away together pretty shortly after that, and there's this weird scene where he's, like, he's really nervous, and he's, like, they've never, they haven't had sex yet, and I'm sure he's, like, oh, but he's, like, not trying to pressure her. He's, he's just, like, oh, what do you want to do before dinner? I don't, 
we could go do this. And she just starts taking her clothes off. But she has, like, her back to him. And she, like, like covers her boobs. As she, I don't know why when I'm... <laughs> it's like grabbing my boobs when other people cover their boobs. <laughs> I'm just... I have to illustrate it for the, you know, audience on the interwebs who can't see it, I guess. I don't know. Uh, anyways, but she's, like, covering herself when she gets in bed. And she covers herself with a blanket as she lays down. And she basically... Like she, I don't know. It's very weird. It's very, it's very sensual. She like pulls the sheet up very slowly, and you see these two like big line scars on her leg. And she's like, "Oh, I had an accident." And he's like, "Oh my god, you're so beautiful." He's like completely head over heels in love with her, and um, she's like, "Oh, I don't like my body." She says, "I'm like, I don't like my body." He's like, "Oh my god, you're so beautiful." And then she basically tells him, "Like, you love me and only me. Promise me." And he's like, "Yes, of course, of course. I only love you." Him thinking, "Yeah, I'm not gonna cheat on you because I love you because you're a 24 year old girl who's letting me have sex with you. Like, of course I love you. It's great." Then he like goes in for a kiss, and then he, he like blacks out, and he wakes up and she's gone. Yeah. And that's when the movie turns into a horror fest because then he's like, what the fuck happened to my girlfriend? Yeah, so the the, the latter half of the movie is like a downward spiral of him trying to piece together things that um and it gets really trippy too because mm-hmm. it's like there's scenes that you go back and you're just like, I don't know. So I don't know if it's in his head that he's recognizing what's really happening or if that's the actual dialogue. We're hearing the second time around the the reliving the dinner scenes, which I know we'll get to that. Yeah, but well, I think a uh, lot but, of it is he drinks whiskey before they go to bed. Yeah, I do think I do think she's drugged him, and that's why he doesn't remember. And I think she's been drugging him, and I think he's also having maybe hallucinations from whatever's in the drink. I think that's yeah. part of it. So he he goes he ends up going for like his buddies already told him about like hey the uh, the manager the record manager went missing mm-hmm. we know she uh, studied at this ballet school so I can't remember which sequence comes first does he go to the ballet school or does he ballet go school. to ballet school okay so because this part terrifies me <laughs> it's like yeah. a, so there's a man <laughs> and he's playing piano in this boarded up ballet school <laughs> and he's playing this weird. Uh, music on a piano. He's in a wheelchair. He's got sunglasses on. He's very elderly. He's in like a kimono kind of outfit. Or it's not a kimono kimono. It's like a robe. Oh shit. Yukata? Yukata? Yukata. Oh, Yukata? Yukata. Yeah. Or Yukata. I'm sorry. I I don't speak Japanese. But I know how you spell it. So, (laughs) uh, like a a casual Japanese traditional robe. Not like a a kimono would be very fancy. Uh, I know the difference between those two things. Is one is very fancy and one is... Actually, you can wear yukata to, like, festivals because there's yeah, just not they're complicated. Usually, they're usually, like, a... They're kind of like a summer kimono. They're mm-hmm. lighter cotton, so which makes it... It gets very hot in Japan, yeah. so it's a little bit more breezier. And so it, there's, like... Also, it's also... You don't have to tie it. It usually has, like, like snaps. So if you're, like, a lazy American, but you want to be, like part of the culture there you can just like buy a yukata and there's some really cool ones i've seen some like online that i'm like 
I want to buy, but I have no excuse to wear it to, and I, that's way too much money I should spend. I literally had my uh, birthday gift for my 14th birthday was one oh. that I wore all the time when I was a kid. I lost it at House Fire, though, so. Oh, no! We should go buy them and <laughs> go to Japan. I know. Go to Japan. Yes, definitely. Only, only in April when uh, Sakura, the Sakura <gasps> so. Yes, I got a makeup palette this week from my subscription box, and it's Sakura themed and i was like well it's october but okay <laughs> but i was like but yeah. cool um anyways so they go to this piano thing and this part i don't know what disturbed me so much i think it was the feet sh- boots because this man turns around and he's like because jigger is like have you seen her excuse me and he's like go away and he's like did you see her did you smell her have you touched her and he's like what the fuck's going on he didn't say it. he's just like um Keep your distance, dude. <laughs> the guy turns around in his wheelchair, you know, wheels towards him, and he, like, moves the blanket, and his... So, you know, uh, traditional Japanese, like, the sandals people wear with kimonos have, like, wooden blocks on the bottom. So he has wooden block shoes, but instead of it being a sandal, he has, like, human feet over his feet... And then they're laced up, which is fucking disturbing. Um, it's it's a little... obviously like it's obviously like some, and I don't know if it's like supposed to be creepy or if that maybe Japanese like old school Japanese prosthetics look like that. I doubt I it. I think it's. Supposed I didn't to be do that creepy. research. I think it's okay. supposed because I didn't. No one mentions the feet shoes. The feet boots really really fucked me up. I was like, ah, why are you wearing people's feet? No, I think that's somebody's skin that he, because it looks different than his skin. I thought it was prosthetics, so I thought it was maybe prosthetics made to look like feet, and that he's missing his feet. No, I think He doesn't, he, I don't think he has his feet. I think his feet have been cut off. No, I, I know, but I think maybe somebody killed somebody else to give him feet. Maybe. Oh. I took it as like a like a Buffalo Bill situation, but maybe I'm thinking oh. too much into it. I don't know. Someone who lives in Japan, please tell us. Because yes. that would be the creepiest prosthetics ever because there's laces on them and it looks like real skin. Like it doesn't yeah. look like silicone skin like most prosthetics, at least in the United States, look like silicone <laughs> skin. Like they have a skin texture, but you can tell that it's like a prosthetic. Because I think at some point wearing... Like, there's nothing shameful about having a prosthetic at all. But there's no. nothing, there's something unnerving about, like, skin on top of other skin that, to me, yeah. is just... Anyways. Um, so, yeah. So, prosthetic, creepy, uh, feet boots. Um, I don't like the feet boots. They yes. seriously disturb me. Um, so he kind of gets scared and runs away from that guy, and he heads over to... This other place where Asami said that, hey, I um, don't have a full-time job right now, but I uh, work at my friend's bar called the Stonefish in the 4th District of Tokyo. I don't, I don't know Tokyo, I'm sorry. I know some of the names of neighborhoods, but I have no idea where everything is in reference to each other, sorry. Um, but she's like, yeah, and um, yeah, I work there like three nights a week. So he goes over there, and there's this guy, he goes to the the bar, and the, it's all locked up, and he's like, 
he sees a guy who works in, a, in the building in another restaurant. He's like, hey, do you know what happened to this place? And he's like, yeah, the owner got murdered, like, last year. And he's like, what? And so he says, yeah, she had, like, a fight with her lover, who's, like, a music teacher. And not only was she murdered, she was murdered here. The blood seeped into the hallway because it's such an old building it leans. And she was cut up into pieces. But when they gathered all of her pieces, there was an extra tongue, three fingers, and an ear. And then he has a vision of, like, the tongue and the ear and the fingers. And he gets really scared. And the guy's like, yeah, the world's a scary place, right, bud? And he's like, oh, shit, this is crazy. And then he, um, by the way, they have a really adorable, like, little beagle dog. Yes. Is it Gangsu? I, for- I want to say it begins with a G. I actually forgot to write down the beagle's I name. I did, too, until it was too late, and then they stopped saying his name. I think it's Gansu or Gangsu. I think is the dog's name, but he's this adorable little beagle. He is. really cute, and um, we see uh, the housekeeper, who had a really good line when she was talking to Shigeru while he was um, dating, when he was talking to her about starting to date. She said, quote, unquote, men need women to support them or they'll exhaust themselves, which is interesting. Um he um so she leaves the house and you see like through somebody's eyes watching the housekeeper leave the house and the dog's the only living thing in the house and then you see somebody walk up the stairs see the picture of the deceased wife on shigaru's bedroom office table and then come back downstairs look at the whiskey bottle and then uh you see the dog follow somebody off screen gangu Gangu, yeah, Gangu. Okay, yeah. I was right the second time. Oops. Yes, um, he's adorable, but he goes off screen. <sighs> Rest in peace, yeah. Gangu. Um, so the first time I watched it, I wasn't paying as close attention to that scene, and I missed that whole part and got really confused about the ending and missed the part where the dog is dead. So spoiler alert: the dog gets murdered. It's terrifying. That's probably the worst yeah. part of this movie. Yeah, and that's a, that's something that always, always, always bothers me in horror movies is that they usually, I mean, technically it's accurate. If you're a person who's psychotic, uh, you tend to torture or harm animals. Yeah. Well, so, so I mean, if you're breaking not... into someone's house, you would kill the dog to keep it but quiet. But beagles, beagles also as someone that loves animals. Beagles are very docile. Um, beagles... Yeah. Awful fact, not a fun fact, awful fact, uh, beagles are often the most experimented on type animal next to rabbits and lab mice Ooh. because they have such good natures. I really want um, a beagle because they're so cute. I want to get a beagle and name it, well, okay, either uh, Watson, Sherlock, or have you seen The Great Mouse Detective? Because I would also yes. name it Toby Aww. because that's the beagle's name in The Great Mouse Detective is Toby. <laughs> He's so I fucking was- cute. I always find beagle named Bagel would be cute. Oh my god, Bagel the Beagle. Oh, okay, mate, I might steal that because I don't think you're getting any pets anytime soon because you have five. My husband wouldn't let me. <laughs> I mean, if you just if you just have if it just shows up, will he know? I know, right? I just found this perfectly beautiful baby on the side of the road, and he'd be like, "No." You know, uh, we- you know. Fun story: My uncle who passed away a few weeks ago. My mom told the story at his funeral. Um, he, (laughs) so my mom is 
uh, 10 years younger than him. So um, I guess she was coming home from school and she saw my Uncle Steve carrying this dog, like forcefully carrying this dog (laughs) to their home. (laughs) He gets home, like the last block walks with the dog next to him. So it looks like the dog followed him home. He comes home, he tells my grandma, this dog followed me home, Mom. (laughs) And the dog lived to be like 20. Like her name was Brown or Brownie. And she... Because she was brown, like, the color of the dog was brown. I don't know. They It wasn't a super uh, creative name. But Brownie um, is, oh, she she was a good dog. And my mom was convinced our golden retriever was her, like, reincarnated because they acted just the same. Um, but my, my parents' current dog, who's a shepherd mix, kind of looks like Brownie, weirdly. So, like, I was like, is that why you, like, got her? She's like, it might be, because, like, I really love that dog. But anyway, she told the story. She's like, my brother lied and said the dog followed her home. He carried that dog the whole fucking way Because, <laughs> like, the dog was, like... But she obviously loved it there because she lived there for, like, 20 years. So, yeah. anyways. um, But, yeah. I mean, if you just, like, say it followed you home, I mean... I'm just kidding. Taylor, don't hate me. But... Um, yeah. <laughs> what's, you already have five pets. Six... Once you hit, like, four or more pets, I think it's okay to get many more. Because as long as you can afford them all. But the big thing is you don't want to look like a hoarder, though. So, true. Um, yeah. yeah. Maybe maybe foster some animals. I know people yeah, that, do that a lot. They foster cats because cats, unfortunately, get dumped at um, shelters a lot because people don't spay and neuter their cats as often as their spay dogs. Spay and neuter your pets. Dear God, That's... please. We have orphan animals. Um, anyways, sorry. Back to the movie. Um, so this is when it gets real trippy. He comes home. And he's just exhausted. And his son leaves a voicemail that was like, hey, I'm going to stay at my friend's house. Um, feed the dog when you find him. And then he drinks what he thinks is just his whiskey. And he starts feeling real weird. And he starts tripping fucking balls. And I don't know, do you want to cover this terrifying yeah. nightmare? I love it. So this is like, um, this is the, this is the movie, this is the moment in the movie where everything kind of goes off the rails. So we see him slowly kind of fall back and he, um, he's going for scenes that we've seen in the movie and it's arguable, like, um, it's not clear cut and dry, which is what I like about it. I like that, you know, I feel like there's a lot of things it's telling you, but you also can kind of analyze it over what seems real, what's not real. So he goes back for his dates with Asami, and she, um, she's not, he's not like, oh, your parents live in Tokyo. She's like, you know, she details what really happened, and that she was raised in a household where her dad left. She lived with her, uh, like an aunt for a while, went back to live with her mom. Her mom were married, and her stepfather was abusive. Um, he and had her no mom feet. was kind of abusive too, like yeah. just not a good situation. Not a good situation at all. And she, she's a small child living in um, this home where she's not really allowed to be a child. So she mentions, she's like, my dad had no feet. He was disabled. He, my stepdad, he was in a wheelchair. Um, and I just laid in my room and would be quiet. So he didn't even know I was there. And so I think, I'm not for sure if you got this, but the man in the wheelchair at the ballet studio, I've always had a hard time connecting. Was that her ballet teacher or was that her stepdad? I thought it was her stepdad because he's missing his so feet too. and he's yeah. disabled. So I always thought that was the same person. But then a yeah. lot of people have been like, the ballet teacher. And I'm like, is that not her stepfather? Also, at some point further on, 
in the hallucinations, she's, like, dancing as a child, and he's, like, masturbating. So yeah. I-, I think it's strongly suggested, if not outright said, that he was molesting her, too. Yeah. Um, and he, he burned her when, and because the marks on her leg that she said she accidentally burned herself as a child was actually to find out that he would burn her when she didn't dance correctly. Um, and as a child, it's obviously horrific. As an yes. adult, it seems like pain is now like a, um, a sexual fetish for Asami. Um, mm-hmm. So we go back through, like, we find out more about her childhood. Um, and then he has a vision where his wife, wife Ryoko meets her and she's like, no, honey, not this one. She's not the right one. And he's like, but look, she's nice. She's nice. Um, so then we see what kind of really, so there's a scene where we, we really see what's going on with the man in the bag and he's missing his tongue. He's missing his ear. He's missing his three fingers and he's missing his feet. And so it doesn't uh, it doesn't say outright, but this is definitely the record producer. Oh that yeah. We're missing. yeah, 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 yeah. This is definitely the record producer, and it seems like when you connect the dots that uh, he was probably sleeping with Sami and the boss at the bar. Sami found out, wasn't too happy about it, killed her boss. I assumed Asami was ha- was seemed- dating her friend at the bar. I thought that was her lover. I could be wrong. I thought that she mentioned earlier. <gasps> you know what? You might be right because now I'm thinking because I could only see black, like longer hair and underwear, and I assumed it was a woman, but we don't see a f- like a face or anything, so it could be the man too. But why would she be mad at? Oh, because she was dating him. Okay, because for some reason I thought she was dating that girl, and and she cheated on her and that's why she killed her because she kills her yeah she kills so what i think it because she mentions earlier because aoyama talks about like oh can i visit you at work and she's like well no my boss gets involved in my love life and we don't have a you know see that's why i thought they were dating and i thought maybe the boss implying the boss was getting involved in her love life was because the boss was sleeping with her boyfriend and that's why she killed her boss and then took the record producer because he was two-timing the both of them. Hmm. See, and I thought she was dating the boss and the boss cheated on her. And that's why she killed her and kept the guy as her servant. I guess either way, there was some kind of love triangle. I think you might be right. I think I was just mistaking the person and the the person that you couldn't see their face as awesome but I was kind of like, so does she hate, like, I was like, so is she bisexual or does she just not really like men and she lures men to murder more? Is it kind of like a monster situation? Uh, Eileen Warnos, where she doesn't love men, she hates men, but she lures them sexually to murder them. Yeah. Yeah. I don't and know. So it could be under- either one. <laughs> My understanding, and I mean, it's not, it's not necessarily right or wrong. I'm not absolutely sure, but what we do know, she keeps the record producer in the sack. So we find out the mysterious, like what's in the sack, um, and probably in the, one of the most infamous scenes in the movie. And would you like to detail this scene, Katie? I know you're dying to do it because it's method acting. So, oh god, Ugh, <laughs> method acting is bullshit. 
I'm yes. sorry. <laughs> but no, I know. I, just... I know your opinion. <laughs> uh, so the actress E Ehi, Ehi, I'm sorry, Ehi, I'm sorry, I was mis misinterpreting an H for nine, uh, for an N. <laughs> sorry, Ehi, the main act, the actress who plays Asami, um, is a method actress, and this was one of her first movies, uh, her first like big movie role, and she was like, I insist on vomiting into the bowl that I'm then going to feed to the man in the bag. So apparently, supposedly, this was on IMDb, so you know, take it with a grain of salt, because I. I've seen it on a lot of places, but I've never heard the actress actually say it. But supposedly that's actual vomit, which to me didn't really look like vomit because unless she was like only drinking water because it's very milky. So I don't know if she maybe she added her own vomit to it. Maybe she vomited in the bowl and then he she brought him something else because then the guy's eating it like literally. And I'm like, well, I don't know as an actor. They didn't say that he's a method actor, so I wonder... I was like, I wonder if they switched bowls, like, when they edit. <laughs> because I was like, I don't... I think that's actual, like, job cruelty to make somebody, like, eat vomit. It's disgusting. Yeah. Um. So that's probably, like, the... I don't... Is that the worst scene? That's pretty awful. Yeah, know. it's pretty bad. But um, you actually... And it's kind of... So you're witnessing... This is, like, Aoyama's, like, vision while he's tripping off the drug hallucinant yeah. she gave him. Uh, but he even sees her as a child, like, patting the guy's head. Yeah. So there's definitely, like, this is, like, this woman's been abused. And uh, it's very, to me, what it is, is that when she's wrong, when she's abused by the men in her life, she kind of uh, sees them like her stepfather. And the punishment mm-hmm. is they get their feet cut off. That is yep. what she continuously does to men who wrong her. Um so yeah um uh, also we missed the part where he uh, after he sees his wife say don't marry her right Mm -hmm. before the vomit scene because it leads into him tripping over the bag which is where the bag unrolls and there's a person in it um first awesome is like trying to give him a blowjob and she's like i thought that was right after no i was right before i thought that was leads into him tripping over the bag Um, oh okay because then then he wakes up right after that yeah so First, Awesome is trying to give him a blowjob. Then it turns into his... No, his secretary. secretary. And she's like, we had sex once, and then you never called me. What the fuck? And then he's like, oh my god, I'm so sorry. Like, he obviously, like, has been kind of a dick to women, but I don't think he... Again, I don't think he's consciously being a dick to women. I think he's sub unconsciously doing it, subconsciously doing it. I think subconscious is a better way to say it. But still, inexcusable to be a dick. It's still not excusable. I'm just saying, like, I don't think he's, like purposely trying to be an asshole but he obviously is. and then his son's girlfriend all of a sudden tries to give him a blowjob that's fucking disturbing she's like mm, i like it and he's like oh fuck get off of me ah. but that's his, this is his subconscious though so it's yeah like, obviously he has like an attraction to his son's girlfriend. well is it that or is it that he's putting himself in like i remember when i was young and i wish i was like young like my son with my life ahead of me and it's the drugs are twisting his subconscious. I'm not saying for sure that's it. I'm just saying maybe yeah. it's more of that. Maybe I might be being too nice to this man. I don't know. I think it's easier to be really like, oh, he's such a dirty, awful person. I don't think he's an awful person. I and don't. I don't think what happens to him is excusable. But I mean, but we, no. I mean, everybody's had thoughts that they don't really like. So maybe it's a thought that he is like subconsciously had and he was just like, nope, that's weird. 
So what I think, I what I love about this movie is that it's not that, once again, Aoyama raised his child by himself. He has friends at work. He's a hardworking guy. Um, it's just that he's not perfect. I think that's just the, that's the great thing about this movie. Um, does he deserve what happens to him? No. But does he deserve no. to probably have, like, his tire slash? Yeah. I would think. like, <laughs> Or at least like, dumped by a girl. Like, I, yeah. you know. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he's... But I think that's part of the beauty in this is that he's not a complete asshole. And so you get where they're both coming from. Because Asami sees herself as almost a crusader of, like, yeah. you men are all the same. And he's not all the same. He, he may not be a perfect person and he may treat women like... Like, I've had guy friends who, like, I find them perfectly great... Like, one-on-one, -on -one, they treat me fine. But they've said shit about girls that they've dated that I'm just like, how the fuck do you say that about a woman that you care about? Or, like, or like people, guys who, like, I had somebody I was pretty close with who was like, oh, my God, when I saw so-and-so without her makeup, she was just so hideous. And I was like, you see me without my makeup all the time. Like, I don't understand what the difference is. Like, oh, I don't know. There's something what's... just wrong with her without her makeup on. And I was like, what the fuck, dude? I had a guy friend who literally took out a girl for coffee, and during her, to me, if someone asked me out for coffee, I think of this as a getting to know you. I don't assume, like, mm -hmm. going out for coffee is a date. I don't know what this girl fought, but um, he took her out for coffee, and she told him during it, she's like, oh, you know, I'm not really looking for a relationship right now. I just got a relationship. He was reiterating the story to me and goes, I wish this bitch told me this before I spent $5 on her at a cafe. Yes. So, okay. I mean... It's not okay. Yes. And is I'm this like, someone I know? Mm -mm. Okay, good. It's like, yeah, oh, it's, a friend from, it's a friend from high school. Um, okay, Because so, yeah, I was like, uh, but, do we need to have a talk yeah, with somebody? There is a lot of that I don't think people always realize where you can have someone that is a, what you could argue is a nice person, is a good person that may be like the type of person to help an elderly lady cross the street. And then they'll turn around and say shit like that. And I mean, that we're is. all human. We're, we all make mistakes. But I mean, it, I do think this movie is trying to call out men in general for the, the I don't want to say exploitation, maybe the subjugation of women in a general sense. Like the, yeah, it's fucked up. Like, I can't imagine. Like, when I go to an audition for a musical, movie, whatever, I go in it as like, this is a job audition. I want this part. It's a professional thing for me. But the fact that some auditions are just a meat market for men is fucked up. Because, like, like I bet those women took time out of their day and their busy schedules. And maybe they lost a shift at work so they could come to this audition and lost money. So you can just look and, like, judge them. So, like, I, I do think they're trying to, like, say... I mean, I don't think most people have the means or the opportunity to have an elaborate audition you know, for, like, their next romance. But, you know, think of Tinder, think of uh, Grinder. It's not just women versus men, but just dating in general. I, but I think society-wise, like, sometimes we do treat the whoever, whatever gender we're attracted to, whether it's same or opposite, I think sometimes we do treat that gender harshly because we're like oh i can't date someone with that i can't date someone with that like i've had somebody I, i'm not trying to take my own horn but like tell me like i think you're maybe too attractive for me and i was like i'm sorry like i don't that's not an excuse did you really just say that 
like, and I'm trying to think of something else, but, like, people, like, who are, like, oh, well, she's too fat for me, and it's, like, what, what, then why did you ask them out? Or, like, I don't know. It's just, like, the just superficial things. Superficial things are not reasons to break up with someone. Yeah. You know, there are reasons to not date someone or to not like somebody, and people, like, especially, like, the audition sequence, there's so much superficial stuff that they're just, like, moving on, moving on, but then one girl's, like, I've committed, I've tried to commit suicide three times, and they're just, like, bye, and I'm just, like, she's, like, opening herself up to you, and you're, like, being a dick about it. Fuck you, asshole. Um, so I think there's a lot of those themes going in to this movie, but basically, um, we also see, um, that he kind of wakes up partially and he's been paralyzed and he, he sees awesome putting on a rubber apron and rubber gloves it's actually like a really cool outfit i was like that'd be a cool halloween outfit but then also um i, I don't look anything like the actress who plays awesome so i don't think it's a costume for me but i do think like i was like that's a really cool like outfit um anyways I noticed she changed into, like, black boots, too. Like, she's wearing a little white outfit, but yeah. she's got black bitch boots on. That's just and a for, phrase. Not, she's not, and, I'm not calling her bitch. But. And for our, our fellow dog lovers out there, there is a shot. It is, it is fake. It is fake. That's why I always tell my shot. It's a little obviously a fake. Yeah, but. Yeah, but there is a shot of poor little Gongu, Gongyu on. Uh, which actually is better than the novel because I did read a little bit about differences between the novel and the movie. And in the novel, she cut his feet off too. Um, so I'm glad she didn't do that to him in the movie. It looks like she maybe just strangled him or broke his neck. Yeah, or broke his neck. It was really sad. So, but you only yeah. see one shot of it. But it's not um, real. So it's not real. It's fake. The real dog lived a long, happy life. I'm sure. Exactly. Um, so, this is where, like, so she's such a smart psycho because she has planned all of this. And she just basically starts telling him, like, you know, she's, she, while she's, like, so she rolls him over. She's, like, hey, you're paralyzed, but you're going to be really sensitive to pain. Which, it's a fake toxin. They made one up because there's not a real toxin like that. So, don't worry. No one's going to paralyze you, but you can also feel pain. Pretty much if you're paralyzed, you probably won't feel anything. So, at least there's that, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but she has, like, this giant syringe. And she, like, pierces it through his tongue. That's the first creepy bit. And, like, not good bit. And she pierces it. They do cut away tastefully. But uh, the acting is so good that you feel the pain, even though you're not seeing it specifically. So then she kind of rolls him over. Like, casually, just kind of, like, tosses him aside. Like, she thinks he does with women, and he kind of did with women. So, she tosses him aside. Um, lays out, like, a rubber uh, cloth. Rolls him back on. Starts cutting his clothes off. And then, okay, this is the part you were referring to, and I forgot about this part. She takes acupuncture needles. <laughs> a lot of them. And just, like, drives them deep and deeper and deeper into his skin, and she, in fact, says the word deeper and deeper, but in, um, in Japanese, it's kitty, it's kitty, like, kitty, 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 Yeah. It's K-I-R-I is deeper, so it's kiri, 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 but the way she says, like, it almost sounds like, like, a little squeaky wheel going, like, it's so awful, but she puts it in his chest and his stomach, and then she put, oh, I hated this one. Ugh. She puts it in 
under his eyes, and I've worked in the optometry world, so, like, I, I've looked at my eyes a lot because, like, when you work with eyes a lot, you're like, oh, look at, look at my eyeball. Uh, so I've, I know how, like, much it hurts to get hit in the eye and, like, how getting poked in the eye is not good for you. So the fact that she puts little acupuncture needles under his eyes is, like, oh, it's the worst part for me. I was like, oh, no. And then you kind of get more flashbacks about um, her background. And I think that's where you, like, really it solidifies that, yes, she was molested by her teacher slash stepfather, maybe both, maybe maybe she's putting them together, and that she, either he's imagining it, or she decapitated him with piano wire. And that seems pretty intense, too. And she just says, you know, I was never really unhappy, because I never stopped being unhappy. And then she just saws his neck off with piano wire. And... But she reiterates, like, saying the line about this wire cuts through bone and flesh so easily to Shigeru before she tortures him. So I'm like, he may just be filling in the gaps in his brain. Um, She may not have killed her stepfather at all, but mm, I think she probably did. But almost like, okay, the thing with her stepfather is, like, you can almost, or piano teacher, which, the guy in the wheelchair, because they never say, they just name him man in the wheelchair. So I think it's supposed to be ambiguous. Like, it seems just, not, it's not justified to decapitate someone, but you can, uh, you have sympathy for her because she was molested, she was abused, this is a terrible human being that did something terrible to her and she had no control over it, and this is her executing her own control and taking back her life. Like, you feel like, oh, like... It's, it's like, oh, cathartic, but then you're also like, but you're also murdering someone when you could have just, like, called the police. You know, there's a there's a, there's a a lawful justice that she's not into. She does not yeah. like lawful justice. She likes unlawful yeah. justice. So there, the second time I watched it, I had a lot more sympathy for her because I was like, well, I get where she's coming from, but that's not how you <coughs> execute justice. Yeah. You don't execute justice by executing people without a trial, in my opinion. It sucks. It takes a lot longer to get to it, but I think there are... Anyways, anyways, that's that's not to the point. Anyways, so she has decapitated her stepfather slash wheelchair man. She's... I guess the man in the bag's still technically alive. Or did he die and that's why she needs a new victim? I, I was under the assumption he was still alive, but I'm not... We don't see him die. Yeah, we don't see him die. We just get him, we see him eating vomit. That's the last we see of him. Yeah. And then, um, so, then, <laughs> she she basically says, like, she knows that because of the love he has for his son and his dead wife, he lied about loving her and only her, and that he just calls up women for sex, and then, um, she takes his foot off with the piano wire is pretty god awful. This um, is this is the part that got me. Is that incidentally I'm trypanophobic. I'm scared of needles. Uh so when I was a kid the needle part scared me more, but now as an adult it's something about the motion that she's doing and you kind of see it flash. Uh it literally awful. made me sick to my stomach, but incidentally what I loved about this scene, and I don't like torture porn. I'm not Mm-mm. I'm not a fan of like no, the hostile no. souls that kind of stuff. But what I found 
incidentally hilarious. I don't know if this was intentional, intentional, but she saws the foot off with such glee. It's horrifying. Yeah. And then she throws it against the window yes. and has a fud. It's just that hilarious. Made me laugh. That, that made me that laugh a little bit. She just go. Well, because the best part is like, <laughs> you see, you're you're in her face when she's sawing the first foot off. And then they go outside the house, and you're looking through, like, a voyeur in the window, and you just see her, like, pick up the foot, just toss it, and, like, <laughs> moving on to the next one. You're just like, yeah. <laughs> it's awful, but it's kind of funny. Um, and then she starts to get on his right foot, and his son comes home unexpectedly, and she, he, he walks in, and she's hiding, and he sees his dad, he's like, oh my god, dad, what happened? And just as she's about to attack him, he wakes up. Shiguru wakes up in bed at the hotel and he's like, oh my god, it was all a nightmare. And she's like, I accept your proposal. And he's like, oh, awesome, this is great. Um, but it's apparently not a proposal. I mean, a dream, because then he wakes up again and his son is about to get hit again. And um, he... Um, his son actually is a match for Asami because, uh, he dodges, she has like a little, like, it's like pepper spray or maybe some kind of paralyzer spray, I'm not really sure. I'm, I'm guessing pepper spray because he seemed like he was in pain when she finally did spray him. But he dodges it a couple times, runs up the stairs, and she gets him in the face and he kicks her in self-defense and she flies down the stairs and she, like, breaks her neck. And it's very vague if she's actually dead or alive because she starts talking talk as as the son's calling the police um she starts talking to shigeru and he's either imagining or you know he's also in a lot of pain and has lost a lot of blood kind of hallucinating that she's like talk saying all those words of love from their second date and that's kind of where the movie ends yeah um, yeah and i also wonder now too like in the scenes where like she he's dreaming about like waking up and her him her accepting his proposal i also wonder if it's like um like what things could have been like mm -hmm. if she had maybe been honest about the abuse so instead of being this person who was trying to hide yeah. and and have these projections on men and how men should be and then they then they didn't meet her expectations she with all mm -hmm. vengeance style on them it always made me wonder if like well if she had been honest and had came from a place of healing what kind of relationship had could have really blossomed between them in a place of honesty um right. so it's definitely sad too like it's a it's a hard movie but it's also a tragedy yes. in a lot of ways there's a lot of there's a lot of things now as an adult that I caught that when I watched it as a kid I was like is she getting turned on cutting his foot like that's that's the kind of stuff that, like, I thought when I watched it as a young person. And now as a 31-year-old woman, there's all mm -hmm. these nice little bits that I just... I was like, it was new to me. It was like watching yeah. a new film. It, I, I definitely found more sympathy for her now. Whereas first... And I do blame 100 Scariest Movie Moments. Or rather, Eli Roth in particular for being like, this crazy bitch. And, okay. I, I don't hate Eli Roth, but I think he's overrated <laughs> and he focuses he's kind of like rob zombie who also i think has quoted this movie as one of his inspirations both of them hone in on the part of the movie that is the least important it's the most remembered but the thing that makes this movie so 
uh, successful in being scary and creepy and just completely frightening is not that there is a graphic torture scene. It's how we get to the graphic torture scene. It's the character development, the story development, how it morphs from a romantic comedy to a thriller to a horror, you know, blood and gore fest. It's all so meticulously pieced together. And the fact that they're just like, oh, I saw gore and so I'm gonna make torture porn movies. I think the Saw people also were like, well, we saw Audition and we're like, yeah. I was like, but Audition saves it for the last 15 minutes and it's very restrained. Yeah. Even during the torture sequence. And I think that's what makes it so terrifying is it does leave enough to the imagination while showing some too. Um, exactly. And I think, yeah, it's it's pretty, It's I mean, it's very graphic. Like, don't get me wrong. It's very graphic and it's very bloody and it's horrific and you, you feel the pain with the character. I don't think anybody, I don't think there's anybody who wouldn't be a little... <laughs> taken back by this film's ending yeah um, i think it is it, but the the way you get to the ending it's earned it's like the ending of hereditary it's earned it's ramped up to it you understand what's happening i do think this ending makes a little more sense than the hereditary ending frankly um because it's a bit messy with the very end where you're just like what the fuck's happening <laughs> what it happened um this movie is a slow burn but the second time i watched it it does go by really quickly um, anyways, so, like, I just, I don't know. I'm very annoyed that people quote this movie to celebrate torture porn. Because I, I don't think torture porn is relevant cinema. I think it is cinema. But, you know, I look at Quentin Tarantino, who, yeah, his movies have a ton of blood and gore and guts. But he's got some really good movies that have some real heart to them. Like... Pulp Fiction has a lot of stories in her cut that have heart in them. Uh, Jackie Brown is, like, a really cool story about a woman, like, coming into her own. It's kind of a cute love story, too. And, um, uh, Mr. Whatever Tim... What the fuck is his last name? Tim... Tim from Reservoir Dogs. Tim, oh, he's Tim, British. Tim, uh, Roth? Roth? Not, not, T- um, Tim Roth. Wait, yeah, it's Tim Roth. It is Tim Roth. Okay, it I is think. Tim Roth. Okay. I think so. You know, you know. I can't remember if he's Mr. Mr. Orange. White. Mr. Orange? Is he orange? Like, I can't remember yeah, what his Mr. color is. Harvey Keitel is Mr. White. And Mr. Pink is definitely Steve Buscemi because he keeps Buscemi. going like, Mr. Pink? Why Mr. Pink? Um, love yeah. you, Steve Buscemi. Um, anyways, like, like, there's like a heartfelt story where he like, he cares about the people he's lied to about being undercover, but then he also is a cop. And, like, there's some substance in Quentin Tarantino. It is a gore fest. Yeah. But it's because it's fun, Jan. But also it's earned. You know, there's not really a gore fest in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood until the Manson family try to break into the house. And then it's, like, deserved. Same thing with um, Inglorious Bastards, which I think are arguably two of his better later films. I think they're better, like, more dramatic, even though they're very funny and entertaining. Um, So... When Quentin Tarantino says Audition is one of his favorite movies, I'm like, cool, respect you, dude. When Eli Roth uses it as an excuse for torture porn, I'm like, I think you didn't understand the movie you saw. And I think Takeshi Miike was just like, sure, I'll be in Hostel. I don't think he really knew what Hostel was going to be, though. Because Hostel isn't, like, fun violence. It's, like, horrific violence. It's not fun. 
and a whole movie that's just horrific violence is there's something mentally disturbed about a person who enjoys a movie that's just horrific violence. There's something understanding about watching a movie that is disturbing at the end, but it's a small part of it because the world can be disturbing, but it's not all that. And I think I, I don't like people like Eli Roth who are just like torture porn, torture porn, torture porn. I like people like Takeshi Miike who yes, this movie is one of the most disturbing things I've ever seen. And I've definitely had nightmares about it before when I was, especially when I was younger, but it's such a good movie. And I think if you can handle the gore, you should definitely watch it. But I, 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 I'm a little wary about telling people to watch it because it is so gory. I was trying to tell people about it at work and I was kind of like, I mean, it's really intense, but also originally they were going to end the movie right before the torture sequence. And apparently someone told uh, Mike to just be like, be a man, finish what you started and see it through. So I think you, I think you could arguably end the movie right before the torture sequence. Like I saw where it could end. Um, but I like how it ends too. I like that there is, you know, there's almost a release for our main character, but also awesome me because her life has been, miserable it's kind of like the ending of perfect blue where like the main character is like beaten and bloodied but not giving up and they had to like you know but also but he doesn't really fight against his captor his son does so i don't know i don't want to spoil perfect blue because (laughs) i really want to do perfect blue and i I told my little brother because it's his favorite movie that he could come on the show when we talk about it because i was like because you're the one who got me to watch it um, I don't know, like, I, I, I love it. I also thought it was cool that Awesome kind of has two sides, just like this movie does, and I think that's probably symbolic, because she's, like, she has definitely two sides to her personality, and this movie has two sides to it, and, um, yeah, I think that's really all, yeah, I think that's all I had written about it. Anything you had to add? Uh, no, I think this movie is still pretty relative, um, just because of the fact that, uh, it's, uh, you know, especially with the Me Too movement and stuff, I think there's a lot of things that a lot of different people could get out of this movie, uh, which is why I love it. I love that 20 years later, people are still writing about it. They're still giving very thought-provoking, uh, pieces, um, about Mm -hmm. this movie. I, I like that. I like when a movie challenges the viewer, um... You know, uh, yeah, I, I, I think this is amazing. I think it's amazing that this movie is 21 years old and it's still, I mean, yeah, it's known for this torture sequence at the end, but it's so much more than that. And I think anyone that yeah. watches it gets that kind of out of it. Yeah, I definitely found that it is such a small part of the film. It's horrific, mm-hmm. but it is a very small part of the film. Because I think I had the same opinion you did. I thought this movie was all about just some girl torturing people and it was just awful and that was all it was but it's really such a small part and also because of the hallucinations we're not really sure if she did everything we see him see in his head so it's very it's they're not completely you know i would like to read the novel 
Yeah. And see what the novel says. Also, I'm still confused about the love triangle, and I feel stupid. <laughs> no, don't triangle. feel stupid. Um, I have heard about the novel that is very much more clear-cut and dry. Um, and when they approached the movie, they were like, you know, let's not make it so clear-cut and dry. Let's uh, have fun with this. Um, because that's what, there's been some things about the movie that supposedly her sitting by the phone, that was the movie's invention, so that scene's not in the movie. And there's a Hmm. few other scenes that are in the movie that it definitely plays with the audience more, which I like that. I think those are artistic liberties that can be warranted with a story like this. Um, I love when something's faithful to its source material, but I think sometimes there have been cases where source, source, source materials have been improved upon. Um... Yes. So, yeah, and I think with- when you are visually storytelling, there's room to take liberties and be a little more explorative yes. with the material. And I think some some stories offer that up. Like, I think that's why short stories work so well for visual media, like, to adapt. Because you can grow the story yeah. instead of cutting from it. Whereas when you take a long novel, like a Harry Potter book, and you're like, let's cram it into two hours it's like but you're cutting you have to cut out so much that's why longer books in my opinion work better as mini series or yeah. television series personally well we won't go into like a deep uh thing about it but i was actually listening to a uh a movie list today and they made mention that a lot of stephen king's best adaptations are based off his novellas yes. um yeah I mean, which is yeah. true. You look at Rita uh, Hayworth from The Shawshank Redemption, The Body, which became Stand By Me. Uh, even The Green mm-hmm. Mile, I think, is more episodic, if I'm remembering correctly. The Green Mile is a pretty short book for a yeah. King novel. I remember seeing it. My friend mm-hmm. was reading it when the book, the movie came out. She was a little older than me. I, probably, I, I shouldn't have seen it when I saw it because it's a little adult. But um, it's more of, like, scary, like, sad, I think, yeah, than anything exactly. else. Green Mile is really sad. Um, but it's a great movie starring the late, great... Michael, he has three names. Michael, what is his name? I know, exactly. The actor plays John Coffey. I love him so much because, yeah. you know, he was also in Teledigonite. <laughs> yeah. He, oh, 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 my God. Wait, let me look it up. Um, The Green Mile. Because I will hate myself if I don't say his name. Because Michael Douglas my... Clark? Michael Douglas Clark? I think it's either Michael Douglas Clark or Michael Clark Douglas. Okay. Michael Clark Duncan. Duncan, okay. Duncan. Who wasn't he engaged to Amarosa from the um wait, am I yes, Amarosa from the original winner of The Apprentice. Oh wow. Everyone's she was engaged to him when he passed away, which is oh. why like she just got married recently. And she was like, I didn't really want to date anybody because she did a Say Yes to the Dress episode and she was talking about how she lost him because he died of, like, a heart fa- like, really unexpectedly heart failure, I think. Um, it was really sad. Michael Clark Duncan, uh, one of the best dramatic slash comedic actors. I've seen him in so many things and every time he's in it, he's either so funny or, like, so, like, like just sad. John Coffey is so just sad character yeah but such yeah. a nice like i don't know he's and his voice just warms me up even though he has like a very deep voice like i love whenever he's in a movie that i see and i'm like oh my god michael clark duncan even if he's like a tiny part so yeah i'm very sad he i was very sad when he died it was one of those actors i was like no no he can't die anyways um the green mile is very good but i think it was a much shorter novel yeah it was um, and misery is pretty short too misery is yeah. pretty short 
compared to like it and the shining and yeah. um doctor sleep doctor sleep's really really long but i have misery and the book is not long um but it's very long chapters it's only like 5 to maybe 10 chapters i think but they're very long long drawn out chapters um which is why like when they're like chapter 2 i was like i'm sorry i thought we were on chapter 11 what's happening yeah um anyways but yeah i think novellas and short stories cuz you can add to the film the the story in film and you can have room to breathe i think it's a lot better um yeah um do you have a rating for it oh of course um so i want to say probably seven and a half leaning closer to the eight out of seven um my main problem with the movie is that um the ballet teacher stepdad part it kind of feels like a little evil villainy um, I'm not very fond of that part uh, myself, just the introduction of that character. They kept it to flashbacks. I thought that would be more cool. Uh, that's very, very minute. Also, it's very 90s quality film. Um, so the way this is film is very similar to Ringu. It's something about it just kind of looks like you know you're watching a movie from the 90s. That's not its fault. It's a product of its time, the way the actual film looks. Anyway, um, but... So yeah, I'm gonna go with seven and a half. Uh, still great movie, very thought provoking, a lot to think there. Um, um, I gave I, it. You go on. I gave it a ten out of ten. Really? Wow. I love this movie, but I think it's because wow. I hadn't seen it in such a long time. Because I think it's perfect. I wow. can't think of anything. And honestly, I feel like the evil villain maybe might be in his head. Okay. I think that might be why he seems so villainous because he is tripping balls. And I think that he might be him imagining it. I don't know if he's a real person. Because he he imagines, like, the tongue right afterwards, too. Yeah. So I kind of feel like maybe it's not real. Also, True. it was boarded up and he had to get through it. So how was that man surviving in a wheelchair in a boarded up place? True. He didn't look like he was starving. So I think maybe that's why I forgave it. It might be a 9 out of 10. But I really like this. I was about to say, now I am I'm still waiting for us to watch the elusive at ten out of ten for me. Um I I d I, I don't know if I've seen a movie that has earned a ten rating for me yet. I love what? a lot. Yeah. We'll um, say but, nine because nothing's perfect, but I love this movie. I couldn't find anything wrong with it. I didn't even yeah. write anything wrong with it. I don't know why. I just love it. That's good. I mean, no, that's wonderful. I I, I, I value that. Um, I did give it an A for acupuncture and amputation. Mm, I like that one. I had I had two. My first one was rated P for piano wire and pirouettes. And my second one was rated K for kitty, 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 kitty. Because <laughs> it's creepy. But I like your acupuncture one. Thank you. Thank you. You want to do that one? I like that, that one. Awesome. I'm glad you like that one. I think it's been a minute since we picked one of mine. I know. A for, was acupuncture and... Eputation. I like that better. I was kind of struggling for my other one, but the Kiri 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 thing, I couldn't... I mean, that's a very iconic part of this movie, for sure. Also because I was watching subtitles, like, the way it's spelled really... I kept saying, like, kitty, 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 kitty. I was like, it sounds like, here, kitty, kitty, kitty. It sounds so nice and, like, Aww. calm. Also, she's, like, such a gentle person while she's, like, ugh, ugh. Yeah. It's so gross. Um, anyways, but such a good movie. 
Um, so it's Brit's turn to pick a movie. Woo! Okay, so it's Brit's pick. And we're, we're going to do something kind of similar, kind of related, but not. Yeah, so we are going to do, we figured, well, we'll just do a double header for you guys. We didn't do a lot of Asian horror. We love our Asian horror films. They're, uh, they've, we owe a lot um, as Americans to Asian horror. Uh, yes. So uh, we decided we're going to do an Asian horror film that's maybe not as well known as something like The Ring or Juon. But it still has quite the following. I've heard a lot of great things about this movie. I heard it's really upsetting, so maybe I shouldn't be doing this, but we decided to, what the hell, go for it. Uh, we're going to be watching The Wailing next week. Yay, which is yes. not one I've seen, but one that's been on my list. And it was on Netflix for a long time, because Netflix kept trying to get me to watch it. Um, but it's right now streaming on Amazon Prime and Shudder um, for Amazon Prime. And so I'm guessing the Shudder app as well. So, because um, I think Shutter, if it's on Shutter Prime, like Prime, the Shutter channel for Prime, I'm pretty sure it's on the Shutter app. But I don't think if it's on the Shutter app, it's necessarily on Shutter for Prime because I think they've got a couple exclusives. Because there was one movie a couple weeks ago that we really wanted to watch, but I couldn't get it anywhere because uh, streaming. So we didn't do it. So, anyways, um, yeah, it might have been—I don't think it was Trick or Treat, but it might have been Psycho or something like that. Anyways, um, one of the actors from Audition is in The Wailing, and I don't know of what capacity he is in The Wailing, but it, uh, the the man that the June Kanemara might be saying that wrong, Kani Mura, he um, played uh, Yoshikawa in audition and he is in the wailing but i don't know what capacity his character is in the wailing i don't know who his character is but um so it's it's a little related but i believe it is a korean horror film yeah so I think that's right it's, i want to say it's korean too on my end i'm gonna make sure uh just so we have it right but i feel like the wailing is a korean horror film i'm pretty um, sure it came up when i googled it as south korean, korean yeah 2016 south korean film good awesome which yeah. you know we've we've done some korean films before just not i mean i don't know a lot of people will argue that um parasite is a horror movie i find it more of a dramatic thriller slash comedy frankly yeah um, i don't i wouldn't characterize it as a horror movie eater myself yeah bong joon ho has a way of weaving so many different emotions into his films that it's hard to pin them in one genre um, like, I don't really even know what I would give, um, oh, what was the one about the, shit, what is the, the one with the pig animal? Oh, Oka? Oka? Okja. 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 Yeah, I was like, it's something with two syllables. Um, I, I don't even know what, it's like, almost like a fairy tale. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, we should do the host eventually, because the host is not the Stephanie Meyer host, the, um... We should do the host and Train to Busan. Yeah, that'd be feature. good. I love Train to Busan. <laughs> they both made me cry. I watched them in the same night, in fact. And I was like... <laughs> and then I watched Okja and was like, okay, uh, it was sad, but then it was happy. So, uh, also, what's his face from Nightcrawler? Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is in Okja. Um, love me some Jake Gyllenhaal. Wait, am I saying the right actor? Nope. Yes. Yes. Maggie's Maggie's brother. Yes. It's Jake Gyllenhaal, right? 
Yeah, Jake Gyllenhaal is is Matt Ryan Gosling and Jake Gyllenhaal, Jake Gyllenhaal always confuse yes. me in their movies because they have very similar thematic elements. Okay, Britt is have feeling allergies, so I'm gonna let her go because it's yeah. <laughs> Mabel agrees. Yes, <laughs> she just sparked. <laughs> it's time to go. I was freaked out by the way because I am in my new house and I took my headphone off for a second. And I heard all this noise outside, and I was, like, really scared. And I realized it's raining, and I've yeah. never been in my house when it's been raining because we're in the middle of a tropical storm. Yeah. So. Oh, God, the noise is so scary. Oh, my God. I hope I can go sleep tonight. Okay, I'm going to let you guys go. We're both we're both going to let you guys go. I'm sorry. Yes. We're tired. Um, we're good. We love you guys. Unfortunately, this movie just had a lot to talk about. Yes. So we'll have – this will probably be a really long episode, or I'll cut a ton out. Um, but we love you guys. Um, thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe and share our Instagram posts and uh, join our Facebook group. Be our friend on Facebook. Um, and treat each other nicely. Wear a mask. Get your flu shot. And spay and neuter your pets and an- your pets. Yes. Your pets and animals. <laughs> Spay and neuter your pets. Uh, drink your water. Stay drink safe. Water. Yes. 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 Okay. Definitely. Um, Stay hydrated, y'all. Yes. Take and- your vitamins. Oh, my gosh. Take your vitamin C. and vi- Apparently, vitamin D is really good to fight coronavirus, by the way. Oh, so, wow. take some vitamin D. And, you know, actual vitamin D, not something dirty. <laughs> yes. Uh, I mean, you can. I'm not... Really, it's fine, but... It's not going to help you against coronavirus. No. Anyways. Uh, okay, I'm so tired. I'm sorry. No, you're okay. good. Anyways, we love you guys. Love you. And we'll see you. Uh, same spoopy time, same poopy channel. Same spoopy chime, same <laughs> spoopy channel. Let's do that again for the folks in the back. We'll see you next time. Same spoopy chime, same. <laughs> Damn it. Same spoopy time. I just spit everywhere. Same spoopy time. Same spoopy channel. Yes. Stay spoopy, y'all. Stay spoopy, (laughs) y'all. Night, (laughs) night, Katie. Good night, Britt. Be safe. You You too. too. Bye. Love you guys. Bye. Thanks for listening. The Grindhouse Girls podcast is a production by Katie Dale and Brittany Ray and edited by Katie Dale. All music used is royalty free and will be in our annotations. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, please contact us at contact us at grindhousegirlspod.com or visit our website at grindhousegirlspod.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon.